World's Finest Podcast, Episode 30. Your host James Doe, and with me, as always, is Michael David Sims. Hello. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> nothing much. Nothing much at all. Just uh, looking forward to several of the episodes we're going to be covering today. My dog is jumping up on my computer chair. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> well, Get off me! <laughs> Stop licking my elbow. Uh, I swear. This poor thing <laughs> she probably wants to go out tell her tough she's got to hold it <laughs> yeah really sorry you gotta hold it for the next three hours or so and why is it gonna be three hours again mike oh because we're covering a little two-part episode called apocalypse now and we're yes, probably yes, yes. gonna gush and gush and gush and gush and then gush some more and that's probably gonna eat up a lot of time mm-hmm. so to keep this episode as short as possible we are going to skip uh, reading emails this episode, but next time in episode 31, we promise you we will get to all the emails, including the ones we were going to read in this episode. You gotta tell me what's going on? It's the Scarecrow. He's developed a gas that takes away people's fear. No more fear? Cool. The man on the ledge last night. The one at my office. Imagine a whole city like that. See your point. Our first episode today is the Gotham Knights episode, Never Fear. In this episode, it starts off with this fat guy, mistaken for Batman, swinging around on a rope throughout Gotham. Uh, the real Batman intervenes, stops him from plunging to his death several times, and uh, several neon, uh, broken neon signs and down power lines later, we see this guy in a white suit kind of slink away on the street uh, below, the, below this event. Uh, after this scene, we see the guy talking to a shadowy figure in a dark room who rebukes him for not watching the quote-unquote test patient more closely. Uh, at Wayne Enterprises the next day, there's uh, this lowly desk worker who starts screaming at Wayne, and he quits and forcefully kisses Wayne's secretary uh, as security hauls him away. Uh, Wayne happens to see the guy's wallet, who, which uh, conveniently dropped on the floor during this uh, madcap event, uh, and sees that there's this card sticking out of the wallet that says never fear on it with a phone number turns out that it's to a self-help seminar led by you guessed it the guy in the white suit from earlier who goes by the name of guru he claims to be able to take people's fears away so bruce in disguise attends the seminar and sneaks away uh, while there to do some detective work unfortunately someone sneaks up from behind him and whacks him on the head knocking him out it is revealed that to be the new and extremely scary looking scarecrow he leaves Wayne, who he, be- he just believes to be a petty theft, in a crocodile pit at the zoo and shoots him with a toxin bullet. However, instead of paralyzing Wayne with fear, as we've been accustomed to previous times, uh, this new toxin causes the victim to forget any sense of right or wrong or discretionary behavior. So Wayne jumps the fence and starts wrestling the gators. And afterwards, a smattering of blood appears above the water and Scarecrow leaves, thinking he's dead. 
Instead, Wayne swims up and walks away unharmed as alligator corpses float up one by one by one. Out back at the mansion, Wayne appears out of nowhere and demands that Tim suit up and get in the plane. And while flying the Batwing, he, Batman flies it erratically and dangerously all over Gotham as young Tim Drake discerns that Batman got shot with this gas. Now, Batman uh, captures Guru uh, shortly thereafter and hangs him outside a window demanding to know where the gas is. And after he finally tells him, he lets him plunge, uh, basically let him plunge to his death, except that you know, Robin narrowly saves him somehow. Now, uh, back at the plane, Robin ties Batman up and leaves him on the roof, claiming that he's crazy now and he isn't even afraid to kill. So Robin gets to the subway where the gas and scarecrow are, and uh, he gets knocked unconscious as uh, Batman makes his way into the train. And Batman tries to choke Scarecrow to death, but Robin frees himself, sprays the antidote in Batman's face, and they eventually make it off the train. So that's about it. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts about this one? I think it's a pretty good episode. I think that the anima- the new animation of Scarecrow is just amazing. And it uh, it's that is the perfect design for Scarecrow, and I'm quite amazed that they were even able to get that look into this cartoon. It's rather frightening. Um, the old Scarecrow look from uh, Batman the Animated Series was very cartoony. You know, there yes. wasn't all that scary. I mean, to a little kid, it might have been scary, but looking back on it, it's sort of very plain. But this look, I mean, he's one step away. You just give him a, a, a sickle, and he'd be the Grim Reaper. Yep. I mean, he's got it, it's virtually a skull face. It's it's half in shadow. I mean, he's got, he's got a noose hanging around his neck. Yes, yes. I mean, it is disgusting, and I say that with a lot of love. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, yes, it, yes, yes. It, it's, it's. I mean, seriously, if I were a kid seeing that. I don't know if I would want to ever turn that cartoon back on. That's how messed up that design is. And again, I say messed up with love. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was enhanced by Jeffrey Combs being the new voice of Scarecrow, because he did a just an amazing job with it. And of course, we know that he goes on to voice the question in Justice League. Mm. And I think he was perf- a perfect choice for Scarecrow's voice here. Uh, it's just really frightening and and just uh, trying to think of the word it's very low uh he doesn't really raise his voice much except when he's getting choked (laughs) that's really the only time he ever raises his voice is when he's getting choked and i think that's probably how it should have been handled from the beginning because jeremy you know a germ or what is i'm jonathan crane excuse me is he's the kind of guy who yeah you know he's picked on in school and He's just given up any sense of uh, emotion except for fear, and therein causing it. And I think it's good that he that he his voice was monotone. This was monotone in a good way. Do we ever see Crane again outside of the costume? Like, do we uh, ever get to see the frail man beneath this new, very frightening look? Who I don't remember. Okay. Because I can't think of an ep- which does he appear, he appears again one more time, doesn't he? In well, Gotham Knights. He's, well, he's in um, Over the Edge, but right. that episode only sort of counts. Mm-hmm. Um, and is he? See, I can't think of an episode off yeah, the top of my head that it. he appears in. Yeah, that might be it. I don't know. 
it'd be a shame if they designed if they came up with this really cool new design and then didn't use him anymore. It, it would seem like such a waste, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and one of the things that you can sort of read into this, and whether this was intentional or not, I don't know. But as I said, you can read into it. Is that you can almost assume that Crane went with this much scarier look because if you remember, I know on at least one occasion he's been uh, uh, gassed by his own gas and he has seen Batman. And remember, remember we saw Batman from Crane's point of view when he was under his own uh, toxin. Mm-hmm. And you remember how frightening Batman looked. Well, you can reason that that memory, that fear stuck with him. And he realized if he wanted to be, a more dangerous villain. If he really wanted this scarecrow motif to work, he had to make his look more frightening than the Batman's look. So it's kind of cool. I mean, again, maybe it wasn't intentional on their part, but you can, you can look at it that way. You can, you can definitely sort of get into the character's head and say, that's why he came up with this new costume. Cause if he's going to be a villain, if he's going to be frightening, he can't look like, look like a guy walking around in a brown paper bag. This, like I said earlier, looks like, death yeah because the last scarecrow his head just looked like a pumpkin mm-hmm. or, I mean, you know, or jack-o'-lantern you know just yeah it wasn't scary really in the slightest Mm-mm. but this oh oh yeah and and again jeffrey combs you combine his voice with the with the costume and it's one hell of a terrifying character mm-hmm. now um <laughs> one character who i could have done without is guru he's about the most useless character since, uh, well, ever. Well, he was really just a plot device. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, mean it was, they needed to have Batman almost kill someone, so, you know, they couldn't have it be, because they had to, they had to have it progress. You know, they, Batman had to start somewhere and then lead up to nearly choking a Scarecrow to death, and, well, here was a guy they could use. They just made up someone they could just throw away. We'll never see him again. So ultimately, it doesn't Thank God. matter. You know, yeah. <laughs> now, I didn't even remember him having a name. Where'd you get that name from? Google. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure they name it in the uh, when they, they go to the seminar. But oh, really? I didn't so. pick up on that. Huh. Uh, if I, I I don't think I made this name up. Of, you're only making me think I, na- I <laughs> named it off the top of my head. No, I'm, no, I'm, no, sure. I'm looking at the I'm, I'm looking at the DC Wiki page and. Uh, it says his name is Guru, so... Well, like, like I was saying, like I was about to say, I'm sure it was in the credits, I'm sure it was said, I just must have missed it, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And that, there was something else about his character that kind of made me raise my eyebrow. He was animated like a Tiny Toons character. I, go back and watch his lip movements, his facial expressions during that seminar, and tell me you don't think of Tiny Toon Adventures. Okay, I'll, I'll go back and see. I mean, we have to remember where this animation crew did start out. Exactly, exactly. That's so, what's that's kind of it's kind of neat, actually. It's right. It was, I mean, it had to be the same animators. Right. I mean, it makes sense that you, we see a slightly more cartoony side from time to time because that's where these guys made their bones. Um. Now, you know, as much as I liked the Scarecrow's new look, and as much as I liked the. Uh, the overall darkness of this episode and some other things we'll get into, you know, as always, I do have some gripes with this episode. Um, first off that, okay. We open up, as you said, with that fat guy swinging through the city. Mm -hmm. How long was that rope? 
think about it. He, it's not like he's Spider-Man shooting webs and constantly changing ropes. He just takes one long swing through apparently half of Gotham. Yeah. Think about it. He didn't swing one way and then swing back and then swing back the other way. He just kept on going, turning around the side of buildings. It was sort of nonsensical. I mean, is it a sort nitpick? Of? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it a nitpick? Sure, but I would have liked... Uh, this is going to sound weird. I would have liked a little more realism with it, if you would. <laughs> did you? I don't think it's a nitpick stuff? at all. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, because if, if you look, even Batman, he'll shoot his grapple, he'll swing somewhere, prop himself on a wall, and shoot another grapple. So it, not even he gets to swing throughout half the city on one rope. But somehow this fat man who's never done it before is able to. I just, it, it was a little irksome. And, I, I mean, I'm not saying it hurt the episode, by God. I'm just saying I noticed it. And if you notice something like that, you got to mention it. Yeah, actually... That's not even my biggest gripe with this episode. My biggest gripe is you're telling me that Jonathan Crane, who has to be one of the most intelligent people in Gotham City, can't figure out who Bru- that that's Bruce Wayne through this ridiculously tiny mustache? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, Come I mean, on. Yeah, what does he have? He has like a penciled-on mustache. Basically. That's sunglasses, it. Sunglasses, and he, he puts on some sort of, I don't know, some sort of fake voice. I, mean, I, can't, I can't even do it. Hey man, I was just looking for a quick buck. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it right there. It's, <laughs> it's a very ridiculous disguise. Give me a break. Dye your hair, <laughs> put on a beard, do something, you know. But a little, a little thin mustache and some sunglasses don't cut it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not claiming the guy swinging on the rope was my biggest gripe at all, because I got a bigger one than that. Really, mm-hmm. there's a big difference between fearless and reckless. And a lot of the things that we saw Crane's subjects, subjects in quotes, do were reckless. Like Bruce flying the jet towards the building, only pulling up at the last minute, and then doing loop-de-loops and all these crazy things, that's reckless. Yeah. Fearless. That's that's not showing a lack of fear. Right, yeah. Fearless is uh, if you're in the ocean and a shark's coming at you, and you don't swim the opposite way. You stand there and stare it down. You know, reckless is is doing everything that Batman was doing, and everything, every pretty much everything we saw anybody doing. You know, again, the the, the guy swinging across the city. That's just flat out reckless. You know, you know what? No, I'll give you one example of fearless that they used in the show. The second guy who yes, pulled off I Bruce, agree. that was fearless. He had a gripe with his boss, he finally had the stones, and he went up to him and said, this is the way it is, and I quit. Mm. You know, And then he forced himself on that secretary. But, okay, that, is <laughs> that was the only example of anything being done that was fearless. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I took issue with that, because I would have rather have seen Batman do other things that we know he wouldn't do. Um, Use a gun? There you go, maybe pick up a gun. Um, I mean, we saw him almost kill someone, but I, I still, to an extent, I still call that reckless. I, I don't necessarily call that fearless. I still call it reckless. I don't know. I mean, some people disagree with me on that, I'm sure. Well, I think when the, the as far as the strangling goes, at first, it could be seen as fearless, but then it just went too far. I think, <clears> they, <throat> just, I think they just went overboard with it, and that's when it became reckless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... Uh, 
I will say one thing, another thing I did like about this episode, though, was uh, Tim Drake. Yes. That was going to be I, the next point. Yeah. yeah. I love, I love that he did not fall for the trick on no. the roof. Wise beyond his years, young Drake is. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. This episode, and then in Growing Pains, and we'll get to that, and I don't know, about seven hours. Um, <laughs> Somewhere around there. Really start to build Tim Drake up as a character. You know, up to this point, he's just kind of been the happy-go-lucky Robin. I mean, he's a younger Robin, so he should be happy-go-lucky. But here, we start to see him mature. You know, he's afraid for his own life. He's afraid for Batman's life. He's afraid for other people's lives. And he realizes Batman was playing him when he was when Batman actually apologized and said, you did the right thing there. I mean, at that last second, he realized that was a trick. And in that instant, you literally saw the character go from being 12 years old to a full superhero, you know, because he he was about to get duped by, for lack of a better word, a villain. Yeah, I like that. I like watching characters mature on screen, be it over a couple of episodes or in just one instant. And that happened right here. And like I said, it will continue on to later. But I'll save that discussion for when we get there. Ooh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my favorite my favorite line in this episode has to be "Death is death. It doesn't matter who administers it." (laughs) Yeah. Uh, very nice. And uh. I think that would fall right on the border between the fearless and the reckless. That was, mm. I think, after that is when it just became just over the top. Mm-hmm. So there's your there's your divider, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of the things I don't know if you picked up on this, but one of the things they had to do to dodge any complaints from parents or even the censors is. After Batman nearly kills the guru, everybody Batman attacks, that being everybody on that train, when he and Robin are just about to stop the Scarecrow, they purposely, they take the time to show you that they're all okay. Because Batman nearly throws the guru, okay, not nearly, he does throw the guru out a window. Let's him potentially die, correct? Right. But then, when they're on that train, Batman is throwing other the rest of the goons out the window, out the windows on the train after he beats them up. But they take the time to show all, I think it was three guys, all three of them hit the ground, roll a little and then get up. So we know they're not dead. Cause if they didn't take the time to do that after Batman's actions and with what he was about to do to Scarecrow, they had to let the parents know and the kids know and the censors know those guys are okay. Batman might've been being a little rougher than he normally would, but he didn't kill them. That was clearly there to appease the parents and the censors. I don't know if you picked up on that. I didn't, but it makes sense, especially given uh, how Scarecrow is introduced with mm-hmm. that that costume. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, death is clearly the the theme of this episode. I mean, yeah, it's it's not having fear too, but it's it's all about Batman, you know getting over his unwillingness to kill. And when you look at the Scarecrow, again, the the Grim Reaper motif, the noose around his neck, you know, they had to show you that, yeah, that's what this episode's about, but at the same time, no one officially crossed that line. You know what I think they probably should have done uh, as far as Batman not uh, not having fear is walked up to a portrait of of Thomas and Martha Wayne and then just, like, thrown a a letter opener at it or something. Mm, I I see what you're saying. 
because we've they've shown in the past here that that Bruce Wayne is afraid of his uh, especially his father, not so much his mother, but definitely Thomas Wayne and how his how his uh, parents would have seen and looked upon his life as it is now. Mm. Well, that would have shown no fear by walking up to you know his most beloved uh, portrait of them and defacing it. Mm-hmm. That's I think if they had just and it probably wouldn't have taken more than what twenty seconds to do. Yeah. And it certainly probably would have helped balance out the the recklessness, like you said earlier. Mm-hmm. I, I see what you're saying there. The only thing with that, though, is if they showed him deface it, they would have had to have taken time at the end to show him amending for that somehow. True. And this this episode's really tight. It's extremely tight. Um, and I don't know if they could find even 10, 15 seconds to get that uh, apology, we'll say, in there. But I, but I do I do see where you're coming from though. Yeah, especially because he. Well, you know what? I don't know. Maybe they could have done something like at the mansion. Well, you know how the episode ends. You know, Batman uh, says more or less thank you to Tim for doing the right thing earlier. Maybe they could have just combined that by having it at the mansion and True. him, you know, having him apologize to Tim and then just look over at the portrait and then just bow his head and do say I'm 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 sorry just in. To himself. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh well, I'm just fantasy <laughs> scripting here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can't fault them for not doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of the things I liked uh, real early on, after they were uh, after they saved the fellow who was swinging on that extremely long rope, I guess, is the silent teamwork between Batman and Robin. Remember that sign falls, that big piece of it? Right. It looks like it's going to crush the people below. Without saying a word to each other, Robin takes uh, one side of the street, Batman takes the other, and they start shooting their grappling guns to create basically a net for that, uh, that, that piece so it doesn't kill everybody. And I really dug that. It showed that even though we haven't seen... Tim as Robin all that much because this is still very early in the, the show's history. Mm-hmm. They've been together for a while. More time has passed in their world than it has in our world. And they're at that point in their relationship, in their career together, that they don't have to say a word. Batman doesn't have to nod. Tim instantly knows what to do and he'll do it. And again, that goes along with the character maturing that I was talking about before. It's all very subtle, but it's there nonetheless. Absolutely. Now, <laughs> you know, but are you are you going to say what I think you're about to say? What are you going to say? I, I was going to say how the how the fuck strong are those grapple wires? <laughs> that wasn't quite what I was going to say, but that's a good point. I, I mean, we've we've shown that Bane can just tear it, tear them open or tear them apart, and Killer Croc can tear them apart, but these these gargantuan neon signs multiple neon signs I should add just falling on them uh, and they're still in one piece they're new and improved (laughs) does adamantium exist in DC no but sure maybe (laughs) (laughs) oh I know I know what they did clearly they they uh they bought some uh, metallo from Luthor yeah there you go there you go Batman sure he has no problem buying supplies from shady people He'll just yeah. then go bust them for selling shady supplies. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. No, what, what I was going to say is, what did you feel about Bruce not dodging Scarecrow's quote-unquote bullet? 
Scarecrow pulls out a gun, which was a creepy visual to begin with, considering Scarecrow's new look. Scarecrow standing there with a forty-five was pretty nasty. And mm-hmm. then he shoots right at Bruce, and Bruce doesn't even move. He just lets himself get hit in the chest. Now, I don't know if there's any way Bruce could have known what that gun was. If it was a, a tranquilizer, if it was the gas, if it was going to be a bullet. It's, and he just takes it in the chest. Mike, he's a psychic, remember? <laughs> The wallpaper. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's it was ridiculous. Another. It was just another little thing that that not really a little thing. I should say it was it was pretty big if you think about it. But Mm -hmm. it's just it was just an oversight, I think. But you do. I think you do have to maybe take a point off for that though, because Batman Batman slash Bruce Wayne would never just stand there and let himself get shot with anything. No, because they still could have had the gas affect him because if he would have just sidestepped just a little just in time so it didn't look like he was doing anything extra special thus giving the scarecrow a reason to look past the pencil thin mustache and sunglasses Mm -hmm. you know like it looked like a crook just having really good timing and the pellet could have still hit the, the 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 ground and the gas could have still gotten into bruce's face it just would have taken an extra second instead of hitting him in the chest it hits right at his feet and you know then it's up and it's then it's up there so I, I just did not like that at all. Um, it's 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 just bothersome. There's certain times when you can claim Batman slash Bruce lets things happen to him so he can figure out more of what's going on. Like when he was looking for the canisters, when he got knocked out, I find it hard to believe that Batman didn't hear someone coming up from behind him. So I just assume he let the guy hit him in the head because he knew he would take him somewhere. Mm-hmm. But allowing himself to get shot in the chest, I can't buy that. I can't mm-hmm. buy he because that gun didn't look like any sort of. It wasn't like Mister Freeze's gun, or you know what it's going to do. This looked like a forty-five. So, I, I, like I said, I, I definitely take issue with that. Mm-hmm. And another thing I take issue with. Now, granted, they were just animals, and Bruce had been gassed, but killing the crocodiles. Uh, what did you hmm. feel about that? I mean, yeah, I I kind of had to again raise my eyebrow at that. I was like, hmm, that's not killing a person, but that's still a grisly murder, really. Yeah, I mean, now granted, of course, he was under the influence of toxin or whatever, mm-hmm. but still, I mean, still they show it. They clearly show it on screen. They show blood coming up out of the water and these corpses floating to the top. Yeah, I mean. Had the corpses not floated to the top, you could have claimed that Bruce maybe cut them open and they quickly swam away. But that's not what happens. We or, see, or even Bruce got injured. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He could have he could have come up holding his arm or something, and his jacket was torn. Whatever. But no blood. There's a lot of blood, and then ploop ploop, they come up and they're dead. Again, it, it's not humans, but I don't know. That's a little extreme. That's a, that's actually something I can't believe they got that past the censors. Mm-hmm. Truthfully, yeah, yeah I, I I don't know. Maybe at this point the censors figured, you know what, this just isn't a cartoon for kids anymore. Let them do what they want. <laughs> <laughs> um, yay! <laughs> that is true. I, I will agree with the yay. Um, now, in in terms of bringing this back to the positive, I should say, in terms of the animation, this episode looks great. Oh yes. I mean, beyond Scarecrow, I love the red sky that we see throughout the episode. Um, I love Bruce after he comes back 
from he's been gassed and he he comes back into the into Wayne Manor and he's just dripping wet. I mean, his hair is down. You can tell that he's gone through something. Um, like if you just turned the TV on at that moment, if you didn't see what happened before that, you know something bad happened to Bruce because he's off model, mm-hmm. uh, purposely off model. And I love that. I mean, there's a couple of little glitches, like when Bruce, or excuse me, Batman is yelling at Tim when he's tied up on the roof. He does get a little cartoony. And as as you pointed out, I didn't catch this, but of course, as you pointed out, the guru looked a little too cartoony, you say. Yes. So again, not perfect, but this is a really good looking episode, despite those small little things. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll go back to the blood in the water. That was very, very well done. In terms of animation, I mean, and I have no, I don't have any problem with the blood coming up at all. It was, it was just, again, the, go back to the alligator corpses floating up. But in terms of animation, it was very nice. Like we said, this episode was very tightly compacted, and uh, they probably they would never been able to throw this in. But if uh, if uh, Bruce had just before he went to the seminar had uh, busted out a psychic vibrations, <laughs> Alfred, I would have graded this an extra point. <laughs> Because, I mean, look, that's exactly what he did before he went to, uh, what's-his-face, Nostra Dumbass, or whatever the hell his name was. What was his name again? Nostromo. Nostromo, yeah, there we go. (laughs) That would have been good. (laughs) Um, Now, here's something that always bothers me with cartoon and comic book villains. Why, oh why, invent an antidote? You know what I'm saying? Well... Okay, sure. You could claim that the Scarecrow has it in case he himself gets gassed. But, come on. I, I just don't buy him creating an antidote at all. I, what? How, how, you, it sounded like you were going to justify this. Well, that was what I was going to say. It was just in case he gets gassed himself. But, by that same token, you, you said earlier, he has already been gassed himself. So, he's already off the deep end. Yeah, I mean that that's what I'm saying. I mean, if if he, and, and put it this way, if he ends up taking his own gas this time, it might make him able to beat Batman because he's not going to be afraid of him this time. The gas isn't yeah. going to make him afraid of Batman, it's going to make him not afraid of Batman. So exactly. again, why have an antidote? But he clearly does because Robin shoots it in Batman's face and thankfully it's fast acting. That was like the fastest antidote I've ever seen in my life. Uh uh-huh. the sunlight from uh, solar power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to call that an antidote. Yeah. <laughs> which it kind of was. But yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's a minor gripe, and it's it's a kind of a cliche, so I'm not holding it against the episode. I'm just pointing out the cliche. Superman. And you are... Later for that, Almarak awaits us. You need only prove yourself and... Listen, I'm afraid you've got the wrong idea. I'm flattered you've taken a shine to me, but my home is here, on Earth. Are you refusing the royal throne of Almarak? Are you refusing me? Well, yes. Next up is an episode of Superman the Animated Series, this one called 
warrior queen. And in this one, there's a <gasps> warrior queen, would you guess? Perish the thought. <laughs> named Maxima. And her whole deal is that she's, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? A warrior queen. And if you can best her in battle, oh, ho, ho, then you get to be her hubby. And you will get to rule her planet at her side. Well, the episode starts out with, um, I, I never got that guy's name. What is his name? Are you talking about Desine? Is that it? Is it Desine? You mean the guy who was overthrowing her? Right, yeah. Yeah, that was Desine. Okay. Um, there's this, this there's this guy, Desine, who she beats in battle, and uh, she's, she's bored because she can beat any man in the entire galaxy, and she wants a husband. Re, she wants to get laid. Woohoo! More on that later. Um, <laughs> definitely more on that later. Um, so her um, her handmaiden, we'll say, shows her video of this other great warrior. It happens to be Superman. So Maxima decides she's going to go, instead of having Superman brought to her, she's going to go to Superman and see if she can just court him outright. And he's like, look, lady, I, I appreciate the offer, but, you know, I, I, I got to protect this planet. So no deal. Sorry. So she kidnaps him, brings him back to the planet. And uh, when they come back, it turns out that the, the scene and her handmaiden and Maxima's handmaiden maiden, um, staged a coup. And they took over the planet because Maxima was so concerned with finding a hubby, finding a lover, that she was kind of ignoring the planet, or at least that's the platform they're using. So Superman, Maxima, and the Handmaiden, because the scene tricked her, who'd have thought that would have happened, all get thrown into a dungeon. Superman, Maxima, and the Handmaiden, of course, get out. They take back Maxima's throne, and... Maximus says, Superman, you know, you, you proved yourself in battle. The offer is still there. You can be my husband. Do you want this? And Superman says, you know what? I am flattered, but I got a chickie back home, so I'm out of here. He leaves, and she's lamenting the fact that she's going to remain uh, lonely the rest of her life. And then who should crash in through the roof? Oh, but a gun-toting, foul-mouthed, white-skinned bounty hunter named Lobo. And she just gushes in the panties. <laughs> Pretty uh, so much. What are your thoughts on this one? I do not like this episode. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> uh, I, will, I'm, I will say that it's. Uh, I don't think it's a bad episode. It's just it's below average for me. Going in, I only knew a brief plot summary that I had read a few weeks ago, and I had never seen this episode prior to watching it for taking our notes for a recording here. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Um, now, based on the plot summary that I had read, I got a sense that this probably wasn't going to be a very good episode or one of my uh, all-time favorites, shall we say. And wouldn't you know, I think I was right. <laughs> This episode, really, it's just wrong on so many levels. <laughs> Why is it wrong? I would love to know what in the name of Zatanna the writers were thinking when they made this episode. This episode, how can you let children watch this episode? <laughs> 
you got this woman, Maxima, and she's running around trying to find someone to fucking impregnate her, basically. And there, wow, there's a great message to send to the kids. And then they show her brothel with a bunch of half-naked alien women, and I have no problem with that, not at all. But again, probably something you shouldn't be showing to the kitties. Mm-hmm. That's really my main gripe. And I have some more, but I mean, what do you think? I see. I, I still don't see what's wrong with this episode. Everything you named is a plus for me. For us, yes, but I'm just I'm just thinking maybe I'm just thinking too much like a an anal retentive parent here, but uh, I I enjoy the the uh, the innuendos and everything and the oh, uh, I should say overt sexual innuendos, but uh, see, I, see that's why I like this one because it's it's a fun episode because it really is. I mean, it's Superman on an alien fighting adventure. That that's all it is, you know. He, I mean, we've seen him on Earth for how many episodes now, bashing in Metallo and Enter Gang and all these other people. And here's just a fun little adventure where he can maybe get some nookie on the side while beating up a couple of bad guys, you know. And there's a lot of innuendo that's going to go over the kids' heads, but the adults who are watching it are going to go, hmm, this is a Superman cartoon? Interesting. That's <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I mean, because we've seen Batman do the mature, obviously. We just spoke about it in the last episode, or with the last episode, I should say. And here, Superman's doing mature, but in a very different way. Instead of the violent way, this is the more sexual way. Um, now, speaking of which, are we supposed to assume that Maxima is a virgin? Hmm. That's a good because question. I kind of get that feeling throughout the whole episode. At one point, she says, at this rate, I'm going to die a maiden. And then um, when she heads off to Earth to get Superman, um, her handmaiden, her handmaiden or the villain, whatever his name was, says, comments about how she's not thinking with her mind. They actually say she's thinking with her hormones. Yeah. So I, I really get the idea that on her planet, there's a rule that says that the queen can't mate until she finds someone that can best her in battle. So, therefore, no matter how old she is, by her planet's rules, she would be a virgin. That's just what I took from it. I don't know if that's the case. Again, just what I was reading into this. It's very possible, and it would explain her uh, her just raging hormones as they said right and then here's another thing here's a quote i wrote down um i i forget the preceding line i think it has something to do someone i think it was the handmaiden had said the, the people need you to make a decision about something and here's the quote that maxima says let them wait god knows i have right there that implies she's never had a man yep or a woman if she would like to swing that way she does have a lot of sexy handmaidens <laughs> mm-hmm. Half-naked, sexy handmaidens. Exactly. Again, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Not at all. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's just it's one of those things that's there. And I, if anybody else noticed that, or they want to counter it, you know, feel free to write in, of course. But and I was thinking about throughout the whole episode. It wasn't just one little line. It was one thing piled on the next thing piled on the next thing, equaling she's a virgin. So I don't know. That ramp, ramp, ramp was like a neon sign going off. Sorry. <laughs> a neon sign, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what else about this one? Um, I will say though, I loved the animation in this episode. It was it was really solid, except for one one big thing. When they're fighting that 
humongous creature in the catacombs, that that awesome electrical discharge that was going on as Superman was finally defeating it, mm-hmm. that was the greatest explosion that never happened. It they built this thing up. It was just getting louder and louder and louder, and all of a sudden, it's just there's nothing. <laughs> there should have been an explosion, damn it! Uh-huh. It just it just kind of irked me a little bit because it was just the way it was built up. It should have ended with some just cataclysmic explosion. Mm-hmm. So that's just a personal gripe, really. But see, that goes along with the theme of sexual frustration, don't you know? There's oh, this yeah. great build up, and then it really wasn't worth. You know, the weight. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Um, now, did you notice that... What was the villain's name? D... What? what did, the scene. The scene. Did you notice that he had a very small Superman crest on his chest? It didn't have the S, but it was the crest. Did you really? notice that? Yeah. No. Yeah, right on his chest. Real small. Real small. Probably about a third of the size of Superman's. It, it was the, the exact same shape, but it was filled in with black instead of the yellow and red. Mm-hmm. I, I don't – it was kind of weird. It was like – I don't know if that's how he's designed because I'm assuming this character is from the comic because Maxima is from the comic. Yes, Maxima I know is. Uh, right. I don't know about the scene though. Yeah. I don't know if that's how he's designed there or if they tweaked it a little. I, I don't know what it was, but it's it's the exact same thing, exact same thing. I was hoping you would notice it, but no big deal that you didn't. But did you notice that when Maxima came to Earth and all those guys started surrounding her, one of them, the green-haired one with the tats – is one of the bikers from Growing Pains, not yeah, the TV show, it, the episode we're going to talk about later. Right. Exact same guy. So either he left Metropolis after getting beat up by uh, uh, Maxima here and started a biker gang in Gotham, or he left Gotham after the shit that happened over there and came over here and got beat up by Maxima. But it's the same, I mean, straight down to the tattoos, the hair, everything, same guy. Clearly the same guy. Maybe he should learn his lesson to not uh, try and mess with the female gender. Yeah, yeah. By mess, we mean rape. Yeah, exactly. In both cases, he's clearly going to rape someone. But again, oh, yeah. more on that when we get to growing pains. Because mm. um, it wasn't just like, oh, there's some background model we've seen before. They do that all the time. They do it all the time. This is a guy that's got a speaking role in both episodes. So I, maybe they were trying to create more continuity between the two shows. A little reward if you watch both, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a question I have. They they say that there was. I think it was. God, who the hell said this? Uh, it said maybe it was Maxima herself that said it. Yeah, it was. It was Maxima. She says no one has lasted this long against me. The guy. The scene lasted longer. Had a longer fight against Maxima than Superman did. Mm-hmm. So it was kind. That of, was just. Eh, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, Well, there's a problem with time in this episode overall, what you just mentioned, but also how long was Maxima on Earth? To us, she was there maybe 30 minutes, maybe. But when she gets back to her planet, Desine and the Handmaiden have completely taken control of the government. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, you can't stage a coup in 30 minutes. Like, you you can't do it. Even if everybody's behind you, it ain't going to happen because you have to change the mindset of the people, too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, granted, someone could claim time transpires differently between the two realms, but to me, it seemed like she was gone a week or maybe even just a couple of days. That's what it would have to be. 
but really it was only a couple of minutes and you know like i said 30 at most so bit of a problem there definitely yeah, she also managed to get an interview with angela chen yeah. <laughs> i forgot about that <laughs> Okay, so Thank she you. was gone for longer than a half an hour. But yeah. still, it, it, they would have needed a, a really long time to do what they did. It's not just like, hey, we're staging a coup. Yay! Okay, everybody. Like, was there no resistance? Because clearly there were still soldiers that sided with her because they sided with her at the end. Yeah. Did they put up no fight? <laughs> <laughs> were they just like, okay, we'll go along with whoever sits on the throne. You're our leader now, oh, great guy. We don't even know your name. You know? <laughs> to scene. I, I, I'm saying they don't know his name. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Who is this guy that he gets to stage a coup to begin with? I got some. I got the feeling that he was some off-worlder, because clearly she's not limited to just mating with people from her world. I mean, she wants a Kryptonian, she wants a Zarnian, whoever this guy is. So who, who's he that the people are going to trust him and say, sure, we'll follow you and overthrow our queen? Like, what? No, no. If we're if we use like the analogy of like English monarchy, I guess he was like a duke, just a lower a lower level uh, uh, royal. He was trying to marry up. Yeah. Okay, sure, maybe I I could go along with that. I could go. I just assumed he was an alien simply because of the other people she does court in this. But you could be right on there. Uh, For what it's worth, I think. The episode started off terribly and then just got and did get better as it went on for me. Uh, the dialogue in the beginning of the episode is absolutely horrendous. It is during the fight. I wanted to stab my ears with a letter opener. <laughs> it was so bad. Just that the whole thing between Maxima and Decine as they're fighting, I I, I couldn't stand it. Um, anyway, actually, I forgot to mention this about the animation a second ago. There was one more. Uh, thing that I had, I have to mention. I love the Lobo cameo, but what the hell was that facial expression that Maxima had to end the episode? She's like, you remember this? She was like giddy as a schoolgirl that she's got this huge, bulking, hulking, uh, white-skinned freak in front of her, uh-huh. and then out of nowhere, she just has this facial expression that really says to the world, "I have the IQ of foam soap." <laughs> Please, I, I don't know if you noticed it. It was the very last thing in the episode that you see. Go back and watch it. It's such, it's just weird. She's just all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden she just, she just sits back like, eh? No. I, I, it's just the weirdest thing. It was just like a mood swing from hell. Maybe she just, uh, you know, had a little one. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I don't know. She was coming down. I don't know. <laughs> I, do women, like, look like that when after they're done <laughs> i mean i i'm just asking I, I, it's I, like i'd have to go watch the end of that episode again to, to you you've got to I, I beg you please go back and watch that it is just the weirdest most bizarre facial expression that i, I think i've ever seen in the dcau to this point okay i'll write this down i'm writing facial expression at end to uh, to remind myself to go double check that so and if i remember i'll try to get back to you uh, when we do episodes. Uh, I swear. Now, speaking of the animation, one of the things I really did like about this, there's a scene, and I don't remember why Superman was doing it, so pardon me, but there's a scene where we see Superman spinning, doing his, you know, kind of his Christopher Reeve thing, mm-hmm. and they transition that to one of Maxima's uh, handmaidens dancing around, herself spinning. And I thought it was yeah. a real nifty transition. 
Um, nothing else to say about it beyond that. I just, I just thought it was a real. It was another good animation yeah, yeah, technique. Was, yeah, ex- exactly. That's what it was. Um, and you know, getting back to my to my like of this episode again, it does boil down to the fact that it's a fun episode. It does boil down to the fact that they were looking at some mature theme themes with Superman. And, you know, ultimately it does boil down to the fact that, uh, Maxima is a redheaded nymph. And I openly admit all the time that I have a redheaded fetish. So is it getting bonus points for that? Most likely. Um, but who cares? She's a redheaded nymph, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you can't hate on a redheaded nymph. And I really don't give a, a flying hoot about hair color when it comes to women. I it, blonde, brunette, redhead, green, purple. I don't care. I, I like all hair colors really. Oh, I'm not saying I would turn women with other hair colors away. I'm just saying those with red hair get preferential treatment. Oh, okay, okay. So they're up at they're the highest point of the hierarchy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh okay. <laughs> Here's where Jenny comes up from behind me and smacks me in the back of the head. Yeah, I was kind of waiting for that one. And I say, hey, baby, but your hair is has hints of red. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're trying to dig yourself out of a hole. No, not really, if you want the truth. <laughs> that was all about my red. In fact, did you listen to Earth to that not to show episode 228? 228? No. The one that just aired. Of course, we're recording this on Tuesday night, guys. So that would be the one that aired today. On Tuesday, it's uh, the latest episode of uh, Earth Down at the Show with the Is It Wednesday Yet segment. I would recommend listening to about the last five minutes of uh, the conversation Des and I have. So somewhere within the last ten minutes of the full episode, listen to that, and you'll get an understanding of my how far my redheaded fetish goes. So you're saying you like Jean Grey a lot? I'm saying go listen to that episode. One last thing I will say I, that I did like in the episode is the little homage. It looked like – I think that might have been an homage to Fred and Ethel Mertz from yes. uh, I Love Lucy, mm. where, where, the, where the woman's looking out the window at Maxima and Superman fighting all over the place. And she's like, uh, God, what were their names? I don't even – Hers was Lucy, but – Yeah, yeah. I Lucille, do, I think, was her name. Right, but actually. I don't remember what his name was. Is it it might have been Fred. All I know is oh, it was Murray. Murray, that Murray. was it. Okay, well, Murray Mertz. Maybe there's something going on there. It was it was a pretty nice little homage, I thought. Hey, Mister G, this money looks weird. What do you mean? It's a plain old pack of hundreds. See, there's Ben Franklin's chubby little what? King Barlow. He's on this stack and this one. He's on every one of these thousands. I don't understand. Hey, boss. I found this. Hiya, Joker. If you're playing this tape, you probably figured out you've been had. Yeah, I left you some cash, but only ten million, which knowing you, you've already blown. All the other stuff, money, jewels, and gold, it's all fake. See, I always hated your guts, and this was the perfect payback. By now, you're probably out of real money. The IRS is after you, and you can't admit I fooled you, or you'll be the laughing stock of the underworld. That joke's on you, sucker. I got the last laugh after all. (laughs) 
Next up today is the Gotham Knights episode, Joker's Millions. In this one, Joker and Harley are dead broke. And, after a blown robbery attempt at a technology convention of all places, Joker escapes, leaving Harley to be captured by Batman. So Joker goes back to his hellhole of an apartment, where he reads a letter saying that an old rival criminal has died and left him the sum of $250 million. Joker then goes on a madcap spending spree, which basically first entails him hiring a bunch of lawyers and psychologists to get him declared legally sane. Now, Penguin then decides to throw Joker a going sane party, which is attended by, of all people, Barbara and Dick. Some of King Barlow, the guy who uh, left him the money, uh, some of his old bodyguards storm the uh, the lounge and try to gun down Joker, but Nightwing and Batgirl intervene and save him, much to their chagrin. Uh, Joker then continues to spend and spend and spend, and he even hires a new Harley Quinn. <laughs> and uh, But after a visit from the IRS, Joker frantically has to try and scrounge up $137 million, or he'll go to prison for tax evasion. Now, as Joker and his goons are counting up the stacks of money, the new Quinn realizes the money kind of looks a little funny. And Joker looks through all the piles, and to his horror, all of the money has King Barlow's face on them. Now, Joker's accountant, for lack of a better word, finds a tape from King Barlow on his deathbed saying that he left Joker $10 million in real money, but the rest was all fake. And because he's sure that Joker has already blown all of the real money by now, he's sure to be the laughing stock of the criminal underworld. So Joker basically has to decide what to do. Either he has to report the money was fake and thus become said laughing stock, or go to tax uh, jail for tax evasion, or commit crimes that won't bear his trademark so that no one will know it was he who committed them in order to cut his losses. Guess which one he chooses. So that's about it. Um, God, this episode sucks. Thank you. Thank you. <sighs> there are so many things wrong with this episode, and most of them are plot holes. Uh-huh. Um, and I think the biggest one is, where did all the fake money come from? Uh-huh. And, because they clearly show that, that like... Wells Fargo, Loomis Fargo type people are delivering him, delivering him this money in an armored car. Mm-hmm. So, are you saying, are you telling me that like these people had over two hundred million dollars in fake money? Uh-huh. Uh No, <laughs> no, 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 not gonna happen. <sighs> but you know, but the same thing is, and that there's more plot holes in that too. I think the plan. I think the plan for as good as the concept is. I like the fact that this guy died and he uh, he left him all this money and then it was all fake. I think in in theory it's a good concept, but it has too many flaws for it to actually work. It's because how did Joker magically get the ten million dollars that was real? Exactly. How did this guy know that was the money that was going to be spent first? That is ridiculous. If there's $200 million that, that the Joker's just inherited, think of the odds of him spending that whole $10 million, that $10 million first, and then finding, oh, everything else is counterfeit. No. And uh, therein, how did he spend exactly $10 million? Right, yeah. Yeah, because those fake bills, they, you know, they weren't going to pass at all. Yeah. There's no way anybody who any anybody at a at a register that saw that was going to think that was a real thing. So yeah, because if you've seen this episode, I, first of all, I pity you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you you see King Barlow in that video. Yeah, uh, he doesn't look like uh, George or 
uh, Abe or Ulysses or Ben or anybody else. <laughs> Ugh, God. And uh, another thing, wouldn't he be able to file some kind of lawsuit with those high-priced lawyers saying that he should get $250 million that isn't counterfeit? Because that was – I mean, think about it. That was – that was a legal binding contract that he left him $250 million. So couldn't he, you know, file suit saying, hey, where's the real money? Well, what are you going to do, dig him up? I mean. <laughs> well, I mean, you could go to his quote-unquote legitimate businesses. That's true. That's true. So that's all I'm saying there. Yeah, you got a point there. And I wish they would have came back to Barlow's men because the whole thing is that Barlow's men are jealous. They're like, why did he leave all the money to the Joker? That's why they're trying to kill the Joker. And they never went back to them to show that they were in on it or to show that they really did have the money. And maybe they didn't realize it. It's just, again, uh, like Guru from uh, the the first one we spoke about today, these guys were just another plot device. If you're going to mention something like that, it's got to be it's got we got to come back to it. Uh, this was it's kind of sad. This was Penguin's debut in Gotham Knights and, you know, the debut of the Iceberg Lounge, hmm. which is comes back into play several times. Hmm. Um, what did you think of his new look? Um, I, I mean, he's, mind- he looks more like a human being. Yeah, I didn't mind it at all. I. I don't remember what did his hands look like in BTAS. Were they flippers or flippers? Yeah. Flippers. What well, yeah. were they here? Are they Batman flippers or they? they okay. Yeah, they were directly based off Batman Returns. Okay, yeah, that, that whole design was. Yeah, I, I like this new design. He's he's a little mm-hmm. more human. I believe he's a little thinner. Oh, he's a lot thinner. Um, he looks like a he looks like a reputable in quotes businessman here instead of some guy who's deformed because that's yeah. what the old Penguin looked like. Here he's he's just some short fat guy with funny hands. That's and a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, I I, I like it. And I I really like the idea of Penguin as the quote unquote legit businessman because there's so much you can do with that because you know he's running deals in his basement or in the cooler but you just can't pin it on him. I love that idea because he's the villain in the Bat Universe that they can pull that off with. Um, he's got smarts. He is cunning, but he's also also ruthless. I mean, he's not as um, he's not as high up there as Alex Luthor, but he could position himself to start to climb that ladder. If you understand what I'm saying there. Yeah, I mean, and he even asks Joker, "So what's the scheme this time?" Mm-hmm. He wa- and because he wants in. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So anyway, getting back to the uh, the loads and loads of negative stuff here. Why would a newspaper print, on its front page no less, that a guy who is supposedly a law-abiding citizen is, quote, seeking a new hench girl? (laughs) Wow, that doesn't look suspicious at all. I didn't pick up on that. (laughs) Oh my god, that's awesome. (laughs) I didn't put two and two together. (laughs) That joke, really, that joke writes itself. I mean, it's like, ugh, god, no, 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 no. That said, I like fake Harley. <laughs> I really like the ultra ditzy Mr. G. <laughs> Mr. G. Yeah. And what I love is in the credits, she's called fake Harley. They don't give her a real name. Her name is fake Harley in the credits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what I love is she's the dumbest one of the whole group. But as you said, she's the one that notices the money's counterfeit. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. So it's the dimwit that that outwits or not outwits, but notices it before everybody else who supposedly has a brain. I, I love that little bit of uh, irony, we'll call mm-hmm. it. 
there are a couple of things I do like here. I like that they called back to World's Finest. Yes. With with uh, the the fake Joker in the Iceberg Lounge. Mm. Uh, it was really cool to have Bruce Wayne go into the Iceberg Lounge and confront the Joker and tell him, look, uh, yeah, you tried to throw me off of a building the last time we met. Mm. And he was like, I did? Oh, 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 it, it, was, uh, it, was, it was so long ago. And he was like, it was just last month. Right. That was cool. Yeah, there was a part of me before that scene, because I forgot about that scene, that thought this episode took place before World's Finest because um, Joker's got a ton of money here, and in or quote-unquote money. And in World's Finest, they're referencing how broke he is. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, maybe this is... You know, this isn't the first episode since his quote-unquote death. This is the first episode before his quote-unquote death. But then clearly they reference Bruce being thrown off a building. And uh, there are, of course, a couple of good little one-liners that I like. Uh, Drown the kids and shoot the neighbors. We've got a winner. Uh-huh. That's awesome. That's 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 a Joker line in, in all its essence right there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and another the, one of those, how did the censors not cut that one? Ooh. <laughs> like, what did they write in there that was worse? <laughs> to allow us to make the the censors allow that one. <laughs> well, I guess yeah. this is the lesser of all evils. I mean, wh- what were the other lines? You know, rape the cat and sodomize the dog? I mean, what? <laughs> Paging Ian Wilson. <laughs> Damn you. I keep forgetting about that. <laughs> <laughs> But the other one was, uh, I'm crazy enough to take on Batman, but the IRS, no, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you that, was, that was funny. I also love when he's auditioning the fake Harleys and he walks past the fat guy and he just pauses, puts up his hand. And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, if, because to that point, he's just too fat, too old, too ugly or whatever he's saying. And then he just he stands at this guy for like 10 solid seconds and then just lets out the deadpan no. <laughs> and then what I love is after he gets quote-unquote fake Harley, he then calls back to it, and he's like, I wish I would have taken the fat guy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And what was the joke the Joker flat-out says to the audience? There's one point where the Joker is off camera, and he comes back on camera, looks straight out of the screen, and he says something, and I think it's something about... You mean breaking the fourth wall? Yeah, what is... There's a moment where he does that. And there was a funny joke, but I didn't write it down, and it's it's late, so I'm not remembering it. I think he might be talking about fake Harley's curves. We'll say, I, I don't know. It's it's not super important, but it, I thought it was. Uh, if it was any other character, it would have bothered me. But it's the Joker, and he's his own level of insane. So it doesn't mm-hmm. bother me so much that he would break the fourth wall. How about uh, Joker trying to commit suicide? Yeah, I I, w- I was glad you noticed that too. Uh huh. Um, I don't buy Joker ever trying to commit suicide in any aspect. He, everything is a joke to him. So even this, he he should be able to find some humor in. Mm-hmm. And the, I don't buy him trying to jump into a boat's uh, rotors mm-hmm. and you know get himself chopped into uh, shark chum. I mean, you you could try to make the claim that he knew Batman would save him, but. Regardless, you're right. He did attempt suicide, and uh, that's not funny to the Joker. You know, no. I mean, it, it, yeah. When he's, I mean, go, going to uh, Return of the Joker when Tim shoots him, he's like, "That's not funny." Uh-huh. You had to notice the bad lip syncing. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised that wasn't the first thing out of your mouth after the synopsis. That shocked. Well, 
you know me and my my love to point out uh, my love of pointing out plot holes. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I guess the plot holes trump the lip syncing. But as I've said before, if I'm noticing how bad lip syncing is, it's got to be bad. And in this episode, it was atrocious. I don't know what was going on. I, but uh, you you say something about this because you're you're you know. Um. Let's see. Fake Harley. My I think fake Har- fake Harley and Joker when they're talking. It's I think that's when it's the worst. Okay. I didn't um, know when it was bad. I just noted it yeah, general just overall. It was bad. Because, again, it wasn't one scene. It was everywhere. Yeah. and Oh, and the fake Joker, I don't think any of his words matched his lips at all. Really? In the in the uh, Iceberg Lounge. Mm-hmm. I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't think anything in that conversation was synced correctly at all. Mm. And maybe it, I may be mistaken. It might be another scene, but I'm, I'm almost positive that was the scene where it was just – just an abomination of lip syncing. Yeah. Now we sort of got a title card with this one. That's true. I mean, we did. I, I didn't think about that, but you're right. I mean, it's not. It, it was more along the lines of the Laughing Fish title card. Mm-hmm. You know, where it was actually part of the episode in a, in a weird way. Um, so I appreciated that. You know, because I, I, I wish they wouldn't have dumped the title cards. I wish they would have kept them for Gotham Knights and Superman. And all the way into Justice League. I, I really wish they would have, because I thought they really set the whole universe apart from every other cartoon. You know, it kind of gave mm-hmm. it a it gave it a different feel. And it's, it's just not something you really see a lot with a lot of modern cartoons. I mean, how many modern cartoons do that? I believe An- uh, Avatar does it, doesn't it? I'm not, I can't remember off the top of my head because I've only seen a couple episodes and I've always jumped in the middle of an episode oh. and flipping through channels. Okay, yeah, I've only seen a couple myself, but I do believe they've used them. But I, off the top of my head, unless we're talking about old-timey cartoons, I can't think of any modern ones that do that. So, you know, it, it yeah. was cool to, to see it brought back, even if it was just this once. Um, now, did you notice that when Joker and Fake Harley were sitting in a his, for lack of a better word, throne room, and she was sitting on that giant Scrabble board. Did you see what was spelt out on the ground? No, I didn't. I was, <laughs> so, what did it, God, I'm probably going to get pissed it, off at myself. It's, what it's it say? spelt out, again, using giant Scrabble tile, tiles with stock, kill. <laughs> <laughs> with the with the kill coming out of the, the K in stock. It was... That's, it, that's great. And, and Harley was just sitting there, just... You know, she probably did it herself, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was just so funny. And it's something we're, we're skipping about this episode is the, the subplot that's going on with the real Harley. Oh, we yeah. Mention that Joker, as you said, he bought himself his own freedom. He cleared his record, blah, blah, blah. But he doesn't do it for his girlfriend. Well, she has the hope that... You know, he's going to free her, but of course, that's when we find out that he's looking for a new hench girl. <laughs> and uh, so at the end, of course, Harley beats the bloody fucking hell out of him. Because she breaks out, she gets into that uh, police car, or the, the, the paddy, the paddy wagon, wagon. And, woo, pulls out that billy club, and of course it's off camera, but we hear her taking that billy club to him. It's not like she raises it and then it fades to black. We hear her thumping him good. <laughs> It was a nice little double entendre there, too. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what I liked about it was I liked Harley getting a few shots in on the Joker. I mean, the Joker treats her so bad, but she takes it time and time again. And 
that is if one episode illustrates that the best, of course, it's Mad Love, and we'll be getting to that, you know, I don't know, four episodes, five episodes from now, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Episodes of World's Finest, I mean. Um, maybe not quite even that far. It might be three, maybe four. But anyways, you know, we, we see that she's always his punching bag, but she finally gets a little revenge. Physic- physical vindication. Right, exactly. I, I, I liked that. I definitely did. Um, how, how did you feel about that? I loved it. Absolutely. Repeat everything you said, really. It's, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's refreshing to see, uh, little Harley finally get just a modicum of, of revenge on him for all the shit that he puts her through. Mm-hmm. How about the, uh, the lampooning of Fran Drescher and Johnny Cochran and, <laughs> in this episode? Uh, cause, you know, fake Harley is, it, that has to be Fran Drescher. I didn't uh, pick like up on Jim. that, but now that you're saying it, sure, absolutely. With that terrible laugh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Johnny Cochran, the, the, the slimy lawyer who that comes, Joker hires. Who comes back at least one more time. Yeah. Cause he's in Over the Edge in the dream sequence. Mm-hmm. And is, do we see him any more than that? I, know I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where it was funny in the moment, but looking back, it's like that's not funny. Nah. And if I, a man's filled with glee, that man must go free. <laughs> okay, that's funny. <laughs> I mean, we're all about imitations on this on World's Finest podcast. You realize? Yeah, in case in case you're new to the show. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's I don't I understand what they were doing, but it just dates your show. It just yeah. completely dates your show, and I'm all about doing everything you can in a cartoon and in a comic book, and even in a movie to a lesser extent, because hairstyles and clothing styles will naturally date a film, but in comic books and, and cartoons, you know, they should remain timeless, and when you're going to use a, a cultural reference gag like that, the second it airs, it's old. It's old right away, so try. You really shouldn't do stuff like that. You should try not to. Because um, think about it, we're reviewing this what ten years after it aired. Yeah, we and the kids aren't going to really get it anyway. Right, exactly. I mean, a youngin that saw this at the time is going to go, huh? And it's a little kid that's seeing it now is doubly going to be like, huh? Who, who's that guy? You know. Oh, then again, maybe they won't even question it. But the point remains: if they do question it. Because it's so blatant a gag, it you know it has to be referencing something that it, it becomes bothersome because it pulls you out. It definitely pulls you out. It makes you think about the real world when you're trying to believe escape the real world. Exactly when you're trying to believe in this fantasy world and escape your own real world. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, now, what did you think about that one guy who clearly died when the chandelier fell on him in the iceberg lounge? I was actually more concerned about the guy who got thrown into the sea lion uh, pool there because uh, if you you're gonna die. I'm sorry. Sea lions are among the most vicious creatures alive, and they will destroy you. Really, I didn't know. So that guy, that guy's dead. But yeah, you're right. The chandelier guy, shit. The, the, there's the bodies are piling up here. Yeah, I just yeah, Batman around so Dick and Barbara can kill, kill, kill. I mean, they're just they're just killing people left and right. Now, see, I didn't get back to the sea lions. I didn't realize that they were that vicious. Yeah, if you impede on their territory, uh, kiss your ass goodbye. <laughs> uh, 
Because, yeah, I mean, that thing is just like, it just comes up and just drags him down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, so there's one thing they got right yeah, in this like, episode. Yeah, I was, I was really curious as to why they did that, because I didn't realize they were, they were violent creatures like that. I, like I said, I was more concerned with, I don't know, a, a one-ton chandelier crushing someone. Because <laughs> it, it wasn't one of those instances where it fell down around him. No, it clearly destroys him when it hits him. But... Hey, whatever. Like I said, Batman ain't around, so who cares, you know? And even if even if you can, you would say that the the thing just falling on him doesn't crush him to death. He probably gets impaled and bleeds out from all the the shattering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, so Christ. he's dead either way. <laughs> now there is a real funny line in this one for all for all the ragging uh, on it. Um, there is there is one thing I, I gotta praise this episode for. It's the one where uh, they're. It's right at the beginning. They're at the tech conference. Joker and Harley are running away. Batman, I think he's just punched the Joker in the face or something. And Joker uh, drops uh, a marble on the <laughs> ground, and he's like, "Ow, my eye!" And then it like starts to pop. Like I don't know if it, I don't remember if it expo- explode. No, no, no. Gas. It, yeah, it was the gas. gas. Out. And he's like, "Sucker!" And then they all run away. <laughs> I'm like. That's a funny Joker joke. You know, that's a joke you I can believe the Joker would do in the comic, in the cartoon, and even in the movie. Because it's, it's, there's an, expl- you know, there, there's gas, there's potentially an explosion, it's disgusting, you know, and hey, maybe Batman did hit him hard enough to knock his eye out, you know? <laughs> it, might, it might also have been an homage to the first Batman movie, where uh, Batman punches him and he spits the fake teeth out with oh, the blood. Yeah, yeah. It might have been an homage to that, too, because, you know, they... They owe a lot to that movie. Of course, the series was based off, you know, uh, you know, was given birth to, uh, from that movie, basically. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I've said it before. Even though I'm not a fan of that uh, of that movie, we wouldn't have had this any of the DCAU at all if it weren't for Burton's uh, uh, movies there, because very clearly. I mean, hell, Tim and Deanie, they say it in the commentaries. They flat out say they were allowed to do this darker Batman to move away from the campy era thanks to Burton. So you're right in that. And my chair is squeaking something fierce here. Um, now, back to the Iceberg Lounge. This is another gripe I have. So a redhead and a guy with a really bad mullet show up. Then some fighting ensues. And all of a sudden, a redhead in a Batgirl outfit, and a guy in a black and blue costume with a really bad mullet happened to show up. And no one says, hey, that's Dick and Babs. Yeah, how about that? It's it's one of those things where it's like, you know the Penguin's got security cameras. You know he's going to review that footage, or at the very least the police are going to. And there's no repercussions. I mean, seriously, it's like they slink away and 10 seconds later, Batgirl and Nightwing show up with the same hair color and hairstyles sticking out of their costumes. Like, okay, whatever. You know, it's, I know you have to. I declare shenanigans. That's what it, that's what it boils down to. I mean, you know, I know you have to suspend your disbelief a little, but Nightwing's mullet sort of stands out like a sore thumb. You know? Especially in a place like that. Yeah, exactly. You don't show up to a place like that with a mullet, as a superhero or as a guest. <laughs> You're a magnificent opponent, Superman. But even you must realize it's hopeless. Dark side. 
I could easily destroy you now. And once you're gone, the pathetic beings of this planet won't have the will to resist me. The few who survive, that is. However, if you join me as my loyal vassal, I could guarantee a modicum of restraint. Think of it, Superman. The power you have now, it's nothing compared with what I'm offering you. You know I can't do that. Pity. Still, if you won't be my knight, you will be my pawn. Next up is the epic two-part Superman the Animated Series episode, Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse spelled with a K, so you can guess who shows up in case you've never seen this one before. What happens here is that, um, see, I want to do this one justice, so, so pardon me if I'm a little slow with the recap. It's okay. Um, what <laughs> it's, you're forgiven, yeah. really. Okay, what happens here is the episode starts out with um, Maggie Sawyer and Turpin they're uh, bringing in some, uh, was it money or weaponry? It was money. Well, yeah, it was a lot of money. Yeah. They're bringing in like an assload of money that was stolen by uh, Intergang. And uh, while they're sitting there kind of bantering amongst themselves, like, hey, we did a good job. We stopped Intergang. This giant flying tank just destroys the building that they've brought the uh, armored car into. Uh, in the process, Maggie Sawyer, it looks like she's killed. I mean, she is knocked out of commission because um, what happens is she's she's in her car and this giant uh, mechanical arm. Imagine one of Doc, Doc Ock's arms uh, enlarged like a hundredfold. Comes down, grabs the car she's in and like electroshocks. It blows it up. She goes flying. It's buried under rubble. Um, Turpin goes batshit insane because this is this is his partner. He loves her, you know, and uh, he and the rest of the, the SCU cops. They're trying to fend off this thing, but all they got are basic bullets, and you know this is alien tech, so it, they're not, they're not even scratching this 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 tank, and uh, so they're able to take the armored car right out of the building, and uh, there's a brief fight with Superman, and uh, to dispose of him, they shoot out this uh, this orb, and uh, it opens up, and these little antenna come out, and it starts this this screeching that just shatter all the windows around. Metropolis. I mean, it, 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 what, like a couple of, couple of blocks, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just destroying everything, and it, it affects Superman the most because we have to remember his heightened senses, and he's just covering his ears, and his nose is bleeding. Later, we see blood coming out of his ears. That's how messed up Superman gets. He's he's knocked down to the ground, and he can't track the tank. It's able to get away. Um, it turns out, of course, this was, as I said earlier, Intergang, and Mannheim set up this heist. He was using the tech that Darkseid gave him to fight Superman to do what Darkseid would consider menial things, like gathering $20 million or whatever it was. Uh, so Darkseid shows up and he says, hey, you know what? I didn't give you this tech for that reason. And he just disintegrates the money right in front of Mannheim. And uh, uh, he tells him, you know, we have to... Uh, we have to step up our plan, right? Yeah. And uh, what happens after this? I'm sort of blanking what happened after that. Well, this uh, that's where Turpin uh, – they'd have the press conference and Turpin saying they, they can't expect Superman to save them every time and uh, that the SU is going to handle it themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, Clark, you know, Clark and Lois are there, and Clark says, you know, that looks alien. Mm-hmm. But then they just kind of dismiss it. 
And then that's when the boom tube opens, and then the parademons start flying around, starting to tear shit up. Um, oh wait, no, that's not that's not where the par. I, I apologize, that is not where the parademons come in. This is where Orion comes in. Yeah, you're. And he he has to say, "I've got to warn, I've got to warn Superman." Or well, what he does he is says. he comes he comes flying out of the out of the boom tube, and he uh, he lands and he walks up and he grabs Clark and he's like, "Superman!" And Clark's like, "Oh shit!" Because <laughs> Lois is standing right there, and he's mm-hmm. like, "I got to warn Superman." And then we cut over to I think it's a hospital, right? Right. And because uh, uh, when Orion landed, that little ship dealy thing that he always flies around that got all damaged up. So uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Star Labs, they fix that, and they're taking care of Orion. Um, he, uh, so when when he's uh, recovered, or however recovered he gets, um, he explains the whole deal. He gives us the backstory about the the new gods, the fourth world, about uh, New Genesis and Apocalypse, and the truce that happened between those two worlds, between High Father and Dark Side. How they exchanged their sons, and what we learn later is that Calabac, who we thought was Darkseid's son, is actually Highfather's son raised by Darkseid. And so that means Darkseid's real son is Orion, who was raised by Highfather. So we start to understand where Orion's coming from because he's this hero, but you can see there's this darker edge to him that he's very tormented. Well, he might not have been raised by Darkseid, but he still has a bit of Darkseid in him. Um... So as this is going on, uh, Darkseid uh, tells Mannheim that they really have to step up their shit. And uh, <clears throat> so they attack an Air Force base, if I remember correctly, right? Yes. They send those flying tanks out, and they start uh, attacking this Air Force base. Superman and Orion, they do everything they can to uh, stop these tanks. And uh, after the battle, Turpin walks up and he says, you know, Superman, you know, we fight some pretty nasty criminals, but this... He really couldn't have done this without you. So thank you for being here. Um, shortly thereafter, Orion says, I have to go home. But uh, if you need me and you are and you are going to need me, call me. And he gives Superman this little disc that will allow him to uh, contact Orion. And uh, not too long after Orion leaves, uh, Mannheim, Darkseid, and some parademons set up some sort of device. I'm not entirely sure what it was, but they set up some sort of device on um, uh, at a nuclear power plant on an island. And uh, the core is breached, and boom, there's a complete meltdown of the island. This huge mushroom cloud forms over the island, and that's how the first episode ends. Um, so you can see there's a ton crammed just in those first 20-some-odd minutes. The second part of this uh, two-part episode sees Superman having to deal with the nuclear meltdown, um, and then, of course, uh, Darkseid's full-on invasion. Because, uh, 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 can you can you explain what happens here? Because I know I'm going to botch this. Well, this the plan with melt- with destroying the power plant right. was to create start creating fire pits like on apocalypse mm-hmm. they they what's the flaming nuclear rubble is just going to burn through the earth's crust and eventually into the core of earth where it would create a gargantuan explosion that would more or less destroy the world it would just create make the world just a big fire pit um and of course as you said this is when the uh, all out invasion starts happening and eventually uh dark side confronts Superman himself and manages to capture him and, and ensnare him in that device in one of the really epic uh, 
visuals in all of the DCAU, where we have Superman, you know, just chained up, locked up in that gyroscope-looking thing, as the as the you know the, the citizens of Metropolis look on aghast. Yeah. Because if Superman was taken down, what can they do with handguns and rocks? You know, right? That's what they're mm-hmm. thinking. And uh, yeah, so parademons are flying around. Some of Darkseid's, all of Darkseid's minions are flying around, just wreaking complete havoc. And um, uh, Superman, he he can't. Uh, before this, we should say he he can't call Orion with that disc because the nuclear explosion, something from that, damaged the little disc that Orion gave him. So Earth is on its own. The the, mm-hmm. the 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 new gods might not even know what's going on. Those of New Genesis, I mean, might not even know what's going on on Earth at this point. And uh, despite the fact that Superman is taken uh, prisoner, the the humans led by Turpin are like, you know what? Fuck you, dude. Um, and Turpin picks up one of the uh, Parademon's spears and he chucks it at the thing that's holding Superman, and it conveniently hits. One of the, uh, the, the, the cuffs that's holding Superman's hand in place that weakens it enough where he's able to completely break out. And, uh, what's, 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 what happens there? Calabac comes up out of the tank, right? Oh, yeah, he comes up out of nowhere and just tries to fight him, but it gets utterly owned. Knocked out in one punch. Superman takes out Calabac yeah. in just one punch. Sorry, I think I called him Caliban a second ago. Um, knocks him out. And, uh, as, as the, the fighting with the humans continues, the, the, the new gods from New Genesis, they all these boom tubes just open up in the sky and they just start pouring out these giant blimps and other sort of ships and, and they're you know there's gonna be this full on war, this alien war on Earth. And uh, uh, Orion tells his father, Darkseid, that Earth is under the protection of New Genesis. And if Darkseid dares to threaten this planet anymore, then he can consider their treaty broken, and there will be grave repercussions. And Darkseid's like, okay, okay, I'll get out of here, okay. And uh, as he's going, Turpin has a few words for Darkseid. He tells him to get his ugly butt out of there, and uh, Darkseid turns around and he tells Superman, you know, what's the exact line? He says, uh, you may have... It's it's basically he says you may have won the battle but you haven't won the war or something like that. And there's always and there are always um, there are always uh, what's the God what's the word casualties uh, casualties yeah. thank you and I think the, that's what he says. He shoots his omega beams at Superman but they dodge right around Superman and incinerate Turpin right on screen, uh, leaving everybody shocked. Uh, Dark side with his evil grin goes in his boom tube. Superman tries to follow. Um, he's not able to make it in time, but they left the, the giant tank that Superman was, uh, uh, attached to, chained to, we'll say, and Superman just destroys it. He just lets out all his anger, all his frustration, and just pounds this thing into a pancake. And, uh, everybody is just shocked. They've never, you know, Superman's a, uh, an angel robed in blue and red. You know, and now they're seeing his darker side come out, his anger. They've never seen this before. Um, and they've just saw a very good man, a heroic man, die before them. So they, they don't know what to think about what's going on. And uh, from there, we cut to uh, Turpin's uh, funeral. And uh, as the episode ends, Superman says, uh, at the end of the day, uh, shit, I know I'm going to get this wrong, 
the world didn't need a Superman. It just needed a, what's the line? A brave one. A brave one. And, uh, you know, it, it fades to black. And the episode, of course, is dedicated to Jack Kirby, who had pretty much died right around that time. Um, and, of course, the entire DCAU, especially the Superman uh, branch of it, was clearly inspired by uh, Kirby's contributions to the uh, medium of comic books. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was a very fitting tribute to Kirby because ultimately it's Turpin that winds up being the big hero of this episode because had Turpin not stepped up and mouthed off to Darkseid, you know, and then threw that spear that saved Superman, the humans might have just laid down and lost. But it was the, 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 the spirit, that fighting spirit in Turpin uh, that reignited the fighting, the, the fighting spirit in all of the citizens of Metropolis and the fighting, the fighting spirit in the fallen Superman. So he truly was the hero at the end of the day. As Superman said, the brave man that saved humanity. So there we go. Yeah. Uh, wow. I, you know, I don't even know where to begin here. Uh, it, I guess I can just follow up on Turpin here. It's this episode. He finally got to showcase his innate badassness, mm-hmm. or you know, lack of a better word. Yeah. Because up to this point, you know, you knew Turpin was a tough guy. You knew he was brave, but he never. I don't think he was ever necessarily seen as all that serious by everybody. Yeah. But now, after watching this episode, there is no doubt that the guy was just a true hero. Uh, and I I cannot say enough about how well they pulled off his his final character development. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the death scene, you know, I, I mentioned this in the forums, but I'll be damned if I didn't cry when I watched it. Every time I see this episode, I, uh, I don't, you know, break out into tears, but I definitely get misty. I, I, I feel this sadness welling up as if I lost someone that I intimately knew. Um, it's, it's a very emotional moment, no matter how many times I see it. It, it, it doesn't change. It's always emotional. Yeah, I, I'll admit that when I, you know, I first saw this when I was a lot younger, I didn't cry, but that was because at that point I was just, you know, watching an episode here, an episode there. And I watched, you know, maybe, maybe 50, 60% of the episodes at that, just at that point, And I, I didn't really get the full effect of it then. But now, you know, that we've been doing this podcast and we've been watching all these episodes and we've been able to, you know, grow close to these characters and to have one of them just brutally murdered right on screen is just, it's hardcore. Yeah. And, now, I guess I'll you know just once again just jump into the animation. This was maybe the best animation that this ep- that this series ever saw. You think so? Uh, it is I, really Dark Side. I think mm. was the best here. This is the best Dark Side has yet looked. Um, when Steppenwolf arrives on the scene there for his fight with Superman, mm. that is one amazing facial of Darkseid there. That just menacing I'm going to kill you grin. <laughs> yeah, I mean in terms of uh scope, uh this episode it's it's the first one where they've ever done anything this big. 
with, you know, parademons flying everywhere. Just There's always something going on in the background, mm-hmm. be it ships appearing out of nowhere, parademons attacking people. There's there's never a slow moment once the shit hits the fan. Um, later on, this would be the norm when they'd get to the Justice League. You know, oh, like, like it's sort of like in um, Justice League, the new frontier. That, that mm-hmm. big fight scene at the end, and I won't spoil it for anybody that, that hasn't seen that movie yet, though you should go see it. It's sort of like at the end there with all the planes flying around when they're trying to fight off the center. Yeah. That owes a lot to what we see here. You know, that was a really cool scene in The New Frontier, but it was sort of run of the mill, if you want the truth, by the time that movie was produced. Here it was fresh. You know, they, they didn't know if they could pull it off, and they did. They really pulled off just a crazy, frenetic war, because that's what it was. It's more than a battle. This is literally a war that is taking on, that is, excuse me, that is taking place on Earth between the humans and the new gods and, and, and Dark Sides and Dark Sides people. That That's wild. Yeah. Um, I, yes, and, but speaking of animation, as far it, as amazing as that visual uh, of the mushroom cloud is, with, and with that just that chorus behind it, mm-hmm. I have to wonder why Superman and Turpin just stood there gawking at it while you know there's a mushroom cloud heading right towards you. Yeah. I mean, I, you could say that they were, you know, they were just like, <gasps> but still, I I try to fly away or run or something, but it. But again, just going back, that was just an awesome moment of animation there well because uh, you never expect to see a mushroom cloud in <laughs> at that point in a cartoon right that that's what i was gonna say you know a- animation aside logic aside you know that's the first real big shocker of this two-part episode i mean turpin's death is the one that everybody remembers but we can't forget that a nuclear power plant you know went into meltdown it, it exploded, and we get a mushroom cloud on on the edge of Metropolis. That's how that first episode ends. As you said, there's that epic chorus, you know, just that great music, and it's like, holy shit, I can't wait for the next episode. I don't care if I'm watching it in three seconds or three weeks. I need to see that episode whenever I see it. I mean, you, you that was the ultimate cliffhanger, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that said, though, that brings me to my first gripe. Hello, a, a nuclear power plant just went critical, and what? N- there were no repercussions to that. There was just no a nuclear, red sky. Yeah, a red sky. There was no nuclear fallout. There was nothing. They don't even address it. All they say, the only way they address it is by saying it's going to create those fire pits. That's it. That is it. I, I take great issue with that. I mean, granted, they can't turn metropolis into you know the next hiroshima but yeah. it should have been addressed in some regard okay it was an island it wasn't in the center of metropolis but come on come on if, if you're going to do something like that there has to be some sort of repercussion other than a red sky oh <laughs> yeah. And yeah now are we to assume though and i think we have to that Mannheim died in the explosion because he gets in the uh, yeah. boat. he gets in the boat and he starts going away but the tidal wave and the blast the, the, the blast wave knocks the boat you see the boat go flying off screen and yeah. we don't see Mannheim ever again do we 
No, okay, he never he comes died. back. He is dead. Okay. There was something in the back of my head that made me think we saw him again, but it wasn't in the second part of the episode. So, okay, yeah, he, he's definitely a goner, but we don't mourn him. He got he, he caused that, so he oh, yeah. he got what he deserved, and I loved that. I loved what Darkseid said to him, because earlier Darkseid said he'd make him a king. And then Mannheim's like, but wait, wait, wait. When it's revealed that Darkseid's going to leave him there, he's like, wait, wait, wait. You said you were going to make me a king. And he's like, I have. You're the king of fools. And I, I, that was awesome. Yeah, it was uh, It was quite uh, satisfying to see Mannheim get, well, not see, but yeah. imply that he got vaporized. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, then it's kind of weird. They, they end the first episode with a guy who deserves it getting vaporized, and then they end the second episode with a hero getting vaporized. Yeah. So now we'll uh, just that'll be the end of all the, of all the analogies on that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, this was uh, this this was the debut of of the new gods, correct? Because this first week we see of uh, High Father Orion uh, and uh, the. Do we see any of the the lieutenants in like uh, of Darkseid, like the female Furies and? We don't see any of them yet, do we? We see Granny Goodness because she. We see her when Dark when uh, Orion is giving the spiel about the history of the New right. Gods. Um, but I don't recall if we see any of the Furies. I guess I don't think we see them till Legacy. Yeah, as as you said earlier, we see Steppenwolf. Calabac is there. Maybe they're hanging around in the background because when you get that scene of all the citizens of New Genesis. I mean, they're all there. You got Light Ray and other people that I can't name because I don't know the characters that well. And I think Desmond <laughs> Reddick is yelling at his yes, iPod right now. Is. I almost wish we could have brought him on for this episode, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but alas, alas. Um, but if you look, there's a lot of new gods there. So it really wouldn't surprise me if we saw a ton of Dark Sides uh, cronies in the background uh, as they were fleeing or fighting or whatever. It's just a hodgepodge of, of characters just everywhere. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, speaking of uh, Kirby creations and whatnot, uh, I thought there was a nice little homage to uh, uh, Joe Sinnott, the inker mm-hmm. for Jack Kirby, who also worked on the Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. the Sinnott Air Force Base thing. That was kind of neat. I believe the uh, nuclear power plant was also named after uh, one of Kirby's collaborators. Mm-hmm. Uh, Errors, I think his name Aries? Errors? A-Y-E-R-S. I can't pronounce it, I'm sorry, but I believe he was a collaborator. And this little bit I got from the commentary, I cannot claim to have picked this up myself, but there's a line uh, right when Turpin pulls out that like grenade launcher out of his coat, and uh, in the second part, and he's, like, firing it at, at all the parademons, he tells two cops behind him, and I can't remember their names, but he says, so-and-so and so-and-so, cover me. And if you listen to the commentary, that was a gag because the people he names were people who did, who inked over Kirby's pencils when Kirby was doing his fourth world stuff. So cover mm-hmm. me. What do inkers do? They cover someone's <laughs> pencils. It's a nice little gag because Bruce Tim was saying that initially – they had used uh, two of Kirby's more famous inkers, but another guy on the show said, no, 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 we have to use these two guys because they did the New God stuff. So uh, you have to be a true ultra geek to, to get that one, because like I said, that even went over my head, and I consider myself a, a geek. 
Good, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always tell my friends that you know more about comic books than anybody I've ever talked to. Well, there's, so. there's a lot of people who know a lot, lot, lot more than me. <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> oh, um, another thing I did enjoy about this episode um, is the maturity factor. They didn't shy away from the fact that uh, Maggie Sawyer is a lesbian. Absolutely. Um, we see her girlfriend on screen. They play it in such a way that you could cons- you could think maybe it's her sister or a really close friend. They're they're never really hugging. We don't see them kiss. They're just holding hands as Maggie's in the hospital. But if you know the character, she is a lesbian. So again, it went along with the maturity factor of this one. Um, so I, I did appreciate that. Not only staying true to the character, but not toning it down for the sake of you know fearing the parents or the censors or the right wing or even left wingers who might be against uh, homosexuality or whoever you know they're like this is the way it is just we're going to be killing off characters in this episode there's other things you should worry about than who's sleeping with who you know um yeah. so I, I i i like that um what i also like is that, and you don't notice this until you watch the episode a couple of times, is that they actually kind of set up Turpin's death. Um, after uh, Sawyer is winds up in the hospital, um, Turpin, you know, he's, he's like, I'm going to get them, Maggie, I swear I'm going to get them. And she makes him promise to tone his temper down and, and to not go all Rambo on whatever's going to come. And what does he do? He lets his temper get the better of him, and he goes all Rambo. And ultimately that, you know, it might have saved the world, but it still cost him his life. And if you watch it, they clearly are setting that up with the character. Um, so I like that. I, I like the fact that they were hinting at what was to come. It wasn't just like, let's just kill someone. No, they, 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 they knew what they were doing. You know, um, speaking of killing someone again, this is something from the commentary. The guys flat out say that they knew they wanted to kill someone. And their initial plan was to kill the Kents. But DC said, uh, okay, you can kill the Kents, but you have to bring them back because they're the Kents. You know, you need them to ground Clark. And, uh, you know, Tim and company said, no, we wanted this, we, whoever it was, we wanted them, wanted him to stay dead. So they ultimately chose Turpin. It made the most sense. And because this was going to be a tribute to Jack, that it allowed Turpin to go out very heroically, very lovingly. Um, at, at, so there you go. Yep. And, uh, you know, moreover on the uh, maturity factor, uh, in the commentary that they uh, they talk about Darkseid trying to you know you know get Superman to join him. They talk they compare it to Lucifer mm-hmm. tempting Jesus on the mountain. Yeah. So yeah, more even more there and here. I think in this episode you really have the definitive Darkseid line, the one that sets up. Uh, legacy. If you won't be my knight, you will be my pawn. Mm-hmm. That that one line there, you know, it sets up the rest of dark, you know, dark side, dark side's legacy, really. Uh, and what he does to Superman in Legacy and and the Earth there uh, afterwards is just, whoo. And that's and you know, and we'll get to that when we cover Legacy, but it's it uh, it changes the. Uh, the entire DCAU forever because that's where Project Cadmus comes in. Right. So that, you know, he foreshadows really the rest of the uh, entire DCAU universe after that. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, Justice League and uh, the rest of Superman. 
Yeah. Now, personally, one of the reasons I like this episode is because of Orion. Um, I don't know a whole lot about the character. I was buying his series in the late 90s, early 2000s. I don't remember when it came out, uh, the one that Walt Simonson was doing. Um, but, you know, besides that, I should say I don't know much about the character. But what I like about him and is in this episode in particular is the way they portray him. Because he has Superman's strength. But he has Batman's deep-seated anger, because you can't deny the fact that Batman's a very angry man, you know. Oh, of course. And it's taking those two elements, Superman's strength and Batman's anger, and putting them together, and you get Orion. Um, so you almost get a "What if Clark Kent was found by the Waynes?" type story, you know. Hmm. Um, and and I really appreciate that because this okay. Some of my favorite characters are characters who can't step out from their father's shadows. Uh, Nightwing, Bruce may not be his biological father, but he is his father nonetheless. Nightwing, Dick will never. I mean, he's his own man now, but he's still always going to be, or at least feel like he's in his dad's shadow. Daredevil, Matt Murdock, he's always going to feel like he's in Mike Murdock's shadow. Uh, to to you know he's not my most favorite character in the Star Wars universe, but Luke Skywalker, he's always going to have Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader looming over him. Everybody's going to know where Luke came from and what he could potentially become if he let himself go that way. And we get it here with Orion and Darkseid, um, and I like the way uh, they, they handle it here. Um, I don't know. I just I just. There's so much storytelling there. Whether that's those stories actually get told or not doesn't matter because we can infer what we need to infer is what it comes mm-hmm. down to. And I think that's a mark of very solid writing when uh, they don't need to tell the story because we know what that story is. We know that Orion is constantly at battle with himself to try to step away from the, the, the his father's shadow, but he knows he never will. And he's always going to be tormented by that. I love that so much and did a good job in this episode and as a whole throughout the whole universe, I think. I, I totally agree with you on the on that whole – your entire thought process mm-hmm. there because um, you know, Orion is – he truly is a badass. Um, I actually had a question about Orion, um, and maybe this is something that should be easily answered. I don't know, but – I have to wonder what Orion was doing in the fire pits of Apocalypse when he's supposed to be – isn't he supposed to be a guardian of New Genesis? Well, again, I don't know a whole lot about the character. You know, maybe he was taken prisoner. Maybe he was being a spy. Maybe he was waging a battle. I honestly don't know. Um, <clears throat> I wish I wish I could answer that better for you. Again, uh, if a certain Canadian and co-host on another podcast um, wants to write in and let me let us know, pardon, uh, that would be appreciated. <laughs> yes. Um, but here's here's another uh, question, or I guess just a statement I have is, uh, I, fi- I figure with an event of this scale, I kind of find it odd, and I know they can't, they couldn't do this really logistically, but I find it odd that other DC heroes didn't join the fight. And I'm not necessarily saying Batman, but, you know, someone. The characters that they had already shown. Yeah. Um, to this point, we've gotten The Flash, um, Dr. Fate. Who else? Have we had a couple more? 
Um, Hell, you'd think even some of the villains would jump into the fray and side with the humans. Livewire. Yeah. The par- if something like this happened, I can almost guarantee you the government would let the supervillains out of jail to try to help save the world. And that's the thrust of what happens in the in the, the very last episode of Justice League. The heroes yep. team up with the villains to stop who? Darkseid. Darkseid. The Parademon. So I would have liked to have seen some of the villains in the background fighting for their lives. I mean, we get Luthor sitting there lamenting the fact that he really can't do anything. But, oh, Steel. That, that, I knew I was forgetting something. Yeah. Yeah, like, where the hell is Steel? They take two episodes building up this guy, and then a big battle comes and nothing. Where is he? And he's not seen it again until Justice League. Yeah, so... Unlimited. Right. I mean, I'm not saying they should have used this episode to introduce new characters like Green Lantern and Wonder Woman. No, 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 no. But they could have brought back everybody they have introduced thus far. Because I was watching this and I I was like, yeah, where are those guys? (laughs) Yeah. You would think with a nuclear meltdown and uh, alien invaders all over the place that, you know, maybe that little alert would go off in their head. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, speaking of the parademons, these parademons are a hell of a lot tougher than the ones they use in Justice League and uh, Destroyer in the final episode there. The, one, the ones in this episode are tearing shit up all over the place and kicking ass and just really being what they're supposed to be. But then, you know, when we get to Destroyer, they're they're being owned by the likes of Hawk and Dove. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know you're going to get hate mail from some Hawk and Dove fan, you know? Bring it. <laughs> No, but I know what you're saying here. I mean, they're chomping into Superman's shoulder. They're biting oh, yeah. every chance they get. They are biting. They're eating Superman's flesh. It is nasty. Nasty. But I love it at the same time. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, man. What else? What else do I have to say? Um, whew. You know, going back to the, what we were talking about at the very beginning here, the uh, this is another animation note, really, uh, is that weapon, the noise weapon, mm-hmm. that causes Superman's ears and nose to bleed? Whoa! Yeah. Again, going back to the maturity level. Yeah. Um, you know, they, I'm glad they got away with all of this. I really am. Well, I have to. <laughs> I mean, if, I, if, they, if they had any problems with the censor, I hope, you know, I have to imagine that, that they had to argue with this with the censors mm-hmm. but i'm glad they got it all in there right that's that's what i was going to say i have to assume for every they, they went to bat for this episode is, is what it boils down to that they had to say look this is the story we're telling it has to be this dark there has to be blood characters have to die on screen off screen both you know and if, if you don't allow this we simply can't do this episode and uh i'm sure they had to make some concessions but at the same time, everything they got in there was just, it made this episode so wonderful. You know, I don't think this episode's perfect. You know, um, I think there are a slight few uh, animation glitches here and there. Um, and again, there are some problems with logic, as you brought up. Where are the other freaking superheroes? Um, but at the same time, it's still a very solid top three Superman the Animated Series episodes, you know. Amen. Um, so I'm trying to think what else what else I want to say about this one. Um, You're losing your voice. Haven't you said enough? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I noticed that a couple of minutes ago. I'm like, huh, my, my voice has changed, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I seriously just... 
don't, I mean, because I don't want to keep gushing, but I, I don't know. I don't know. What else do you have to That's say about just, this one while I'm thinking here? I really, you know, I don't have a lot more notes. It's just, uh, again, going back to episodes where you just want to sit back and absorb everything that you're watching. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and that's, yeah, it's it, it's kind of a flaw with me when I'm taking notes. It's I I tend to get engrossed in the episodes and I start la- I start not taking notes yeah. and then I'm like, oh shit, 15 minutes later, here I am with you know not many notes. Yeah. But you know, I think that's the sign of a great episode. Yeah. Uh, or in this case, a truly epic, legendary episode slash or episodes. It didn't make it into the episode, but if we didn't mention it, I know we'd get like three dozen email at Turpin's funeral. There were so many characters and people that they had to cut out from that funeral for one reason or another, mostly boiled down, most, mostly boiling down to lack of time. I mean, at his funeral, the, the production crew is there. Comic creators are there. Characters Kirby created were supposed to be in there. They were animated to be in there, but they had to get cut. The Fantastic Four, um, I think Nick Fury was supposed to be in there. So character, like Marvel characters were going to pop up in a DC cartoon, but, uh, you know, it ended up on the cutting room floor. I know some of the still images are online, so you can look for them there. But uh, I think it's cool that at the very least they tried to get it in there. They just didn't stick with DC characters. They're like, you know what? Kirby's contributions went beyond Marvel. They went beyond DC. He truly, honestly had a deep and forever lasting impact on the industry as a whole. And the only way to truly honor him was to put as many characters as they could into that funeral scene, excuse me, funeral scene, copyrights and trademarks be damned. Okay? I understand now. Good, because I'm lost. What do you have to do with Clayface? I am Clayface. And finally today is the Gotham Knights episode, Growing Pains. In this episode, uh, we see Robin saving a young girl from this group of scummy bikers, but uh, uh, she runs away afterwards, and uh, Robin starts chasing after her. But he sees the bat signal, and so he goes to Commissioner Gordon's office, where Batman and Gordon are uh, they are watching a video of this super strong criminal that neither of them can seem to identify. Um, meanwhile, Robin's over by the window daydreaming about the girl. And uh, the next day after school, Alfred and Tim are driving home when Tim spots the girl running into a bus station. And so he puts on the Robin costume and eventually catches up to her. And he finds out that she has total amnesia and can't remember anything about herself or even her name. Um, then uh, her supposed father enters from the shadows and proceeds to smack Robin all over the place. Uh, Batman then intervenes, and the guy runs away. And even though they, they seem to trap him in a tunnel, they lose him. So they go back to where they left the girl in the uh, the bus station, just or that construction area of the bus station, and they find she's disappeared, and all that's left behind is a glob of mud. Uh, and Batman says that they need to go home since there's nothing more they can do. I mean, what's the point of ru- aimlessly running around? But Robin just furiously storms off to search for her. He is just pissed as hell. And uh, the girl, whom Robin names Annie, uh, 
you know, of course, after the orphan, uh, finds Robin and on the street, and as she sees a spotlight for a uh, movie theater, I believe, uh, it kind of starts jogging her memory of what could be her home. And so they uh, they make their way to a lighthouse, uh, and Annie spots some sewer pipes in, off in the distance, which she says that she definitely remembers. Now, meanwhile, at the back of the Batcave, Batman and Alfred are, are waiting for the Bat computer to finish the analysis of uh, the mud found at the station. And when it's finished, Batman is just aghast, and he tears off in the Batmobile because he's figured out who Annie's quote-unquote father is. I know who Daddy is. <laughs> yeah. This is the single darkest episode since See No Evil. Yeah. I, I mean, wow. I, I don't even know where to start on this just because it is so dark. Uh, I guess I, I guess I could just say it's an awesome, another awesome Tim Drake story. Right, right. Uh, I'm so, I am so pleased with what they did with uh, Drake here. Just piles and piles of character development in just 22 minutes. Um, I love how he stands up to Batman. Oh yeah, most of all. Definitely. He he says, in not so many words, he just says, "Fuck you." I'm 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 sick of this on this nonsense about waiting around for. Uh, to f- for her to just show up on our doorstep, we need to go out there and look for her. And he just, he's, he just runs off and goes looking for her. And Batman, and I, I also like therein Batman just saying, just you know, saying, okay, he doesn't say anything. He just goes and leaves back to the to the mansion because you know he has the tracer on him. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's this was Tim Drake's finest hour yet. It was like I said, his maturing started in the Scarecrow episode, and it really came to a head here. And I like the fact that Batman—he doesn't grab him by his belt or his collar and force him back to the cave. He lets him go, as you said. Yeah, he has the tracer on him, but at the same time, Batman's realizing that Tim is starting to become his own hero, independent of of Batman himself, and he has to let him grow. He has to let that happen. And if that means letting him go out on this adventure to look for this little girl, because at the time he doesn't realize how dangerous this is. He doesn't realize that quote unquote daddy is Clayface. No one knows this at this moment. Because if he did, he obviously wouldn't let Tim go, you know? Right. But he's going to let him go do this little side mission while he can play detective in the cave. Um, And I, I like that little bit of characterization on Batman's part. You know, he has to let this little boy grow up into a man, and that's what he's doing right here. Mm -hmm. And uh, when Batman figures out who it is, and, you know, the computer figures it out, whichever you want to say, when he says, oh, my God, that is chilling. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it was, you know, we've been talking about this. They've been saying it a lot, it seems, in Superman and Gotham Knights and World's Finest, you know. But I don't think it was diminished at all, but just because of the way Kevin Conroy uh, acts it out, and you combine it with the the music in the background, it makes it something really scary. Because Batman, we've never seen Batman in a feeling of panic, no. of gen- not you know we've seen it where he's under like a toxin or something like he's just in a, you know, his mind is being warped, but not here where he's just he's completely sane and and he's in control of the situation. This, he is just, oh, my God, he, because he's afraid Tim is going to die. Right, yeah. I mean, this is the last thing he was expecting. He probably thought this guy was 
some sort of metahuman, um, or maybe he had a Bane formula or something. You know what I mean? He, he There was no way he thought it was going to be Clayface, who Batman has nearly been killed by several times. You know, um, so his reaction is, is perfect. I mean, what else would he say? He wouldn't silently jump on the car. He would say, oh, my God, and scream off in the car to go save Tim. That's all he could do. I thought it was great characterization, great animation, and just great storytelling from top to bottom there. Really good. Um, now, when it comes to the designs of Annie and her father, is it just me, or did they look slightly anime-influenced? Very good, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, 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 definitely. Annie was very obviously animated in, in a Japanese animation mm-hmm. style. Because... Uh, she every now and then she had that uh kind of twitchy eye thing that anime kids have like well, like when they're mm-hmm. sad or they're going to cry you know what i'm talking about i think it's supposed to be like their yeah. eyes are wet like they're going to cry but it looks a little twitchy because of the, the 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 little glint they put in there she has that every now and then and in this scene where i think it's the first time we see quote unquote daddy um, when Robin is, uh, has come face to face with him. If you actually look at the way his face is structured and the kind of, the, the scar that's coming out of the side of his eye or whatever it is, um, it, to me, that looked like anime villains I have seen many times. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong with him, but I know I'm, I knew I was right with Annie. So thank you for confirming that. <laughs> no problem at all. One thing I didn't pick up, though, was where Annie's name came from, that it was due to little orphan Annie. I just assumed it was because Robin had seen the doll, you know, Raggedy Ann and Andy. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just took it as, oh, Ann, Annie. You know, it never dawned on me, no, who's the most famous orphan? Annie! Sorry. <laughs> it's a good catch there. Yeah. Um, the you would we always talk about getting up, getting away just for a few moments but of, of the serious stuff we got to mention uh, another great sight gag in this episode glad my barber's past her wild years <laughs> people's eyebrow alert <laughs> yeah. yeah i love the look on batman's face you know if there was ever a moment when uh, jim gordon was going to figure it out that was it <laughs> yeah he just missed he just missed the boat yeah exactly <laughs> that was a funny moment Oh man! Um, but it really—I so. I mean, that's that—that's probably off the top of my head the only lighthearted moment in the entire episode. Yeah, it, it really was. I mean, Everything else is just flat out, it's either sad, scary, or just creepy. Yeah. You know what? No, I'll give them another funny moment. It's when Robin and Alfred are in the car, and he's like, "He treats me like a kid," and Alfred's like, "Pardon me for saying, sir." Yeah, but you are a child. And then, you know. That, whatever. But then later on, they come back to it where he's like, you know, Master Tim is right. You do treat him like a child. And I don't even think Batman responds to it because I think that's when the analysis finishes up revealing Clayface as the pappy. Um, Now, something I had mentioned earlier during the uh, Warrior Queen episode, I promised I would come back to here. So here it is. Those dudes were going to rape her. Yes. A bunch of street biker pedophiles. That was fucked up. I... I really, I know we say it all the time. I can't believe that he got away with that. Seriously, I can't believe they got away with that. They weren't teasing her, you know. 
Yeah, these weren't 14-year-old bullies on a playground or right. I should say 12-year-old bullies on a playground or something. Right. These these were a bunch of grown men that were going to take this little girl into a dark corner and rape her to death. And that really did bug the piss out of me. It really did. I thought, you know, yes, the episode was dark. Yes, it was mature. But I thought it went one step too far. And I don't think that's, I don't think I've ever really said that in terms of content about this show. Um, And I love this episode. But I think the main reason this episode doesn't get a perfect 10 from me is probably solely because of that. I, I, I don't know. That That's how strongly I feel about that. It's It was just wrong on so many levels, on so many levels. Yeah. I, I guess... I, I guess what they were they were trying you know they were trying to set it up as being a dark episode from the from the get go but yeah they they did take it too far there I mean because it's really it's not just that they chase her I mean if they would have just chased her down um, the street or something okay I, I wouldn't even have batted an eye at it but they're circling her they're, they're all laughing they're all cracking wise at her making some lewd comments here and there and she's trapped if Robin didn't come along. You know what I mean? She, she was a goner. You know, it, it, it isn't like they were just teasing her. No, they were. They had full intention of killing and raping, quite possibly in that order, this little girl. It's messed up. Yeah. Now, my big gripe that I, I – and this, this is just like a very short thing is uh, – besides, of course, that is – no one saw Robin, the boy wonder, leap from a car owned by Bruce Wayne in that huge crowd of people. Uh-huh. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. I was thinking, you know, if they made this episode in 2008, there would have been two dozen people on the street with their ca- on the, with their camera phones pointed at that car getting the license plate. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like at the very least, Alfred could have pulled into an alley to let Tim out or something. You know. <laughs> yeah, it just lets him out on the side of the street. Yeah. Here you go, Master Jim. It just runs down the sidewalk. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, I think quite possibly. I'm not. You know what? I take it back. I was going to say quite possibly my favorite my favorite moment, but no, that's wrong. One of my favorite moments of this episode is the ending. Uh, Bruce and Tim standing there, and Bruce just lays it out to Tim, and this this is the final part of Tim growing up, becoming his own man, so to speak. Batman simply tells him sometimes there are no happy endings and Tim just walks away. I mean, that is, that was the perfect way to end it. Cause how, you can't end this episode on a joke. You can't end it any other way. Annie was pretty much murdered. Yeah. You know, and Tim, Tim so much as says so as the episode ends. Exactly. The police, the police are discussing the charges and everything. And, uh, Tim's like, yeah, add one more murder. You're right. And that's and then he walks off and Batman just stares off into the distance because mm-hmm. he knows he knows Tim is right. Yeah, um, it's it, it's odd. I mean, Tim's father died, but that really wasn't Tim's defining moment as a hero. It, this was it: the death of Annie. You know, Dick had the death of his parents. Um, Barbara, at least in the cartoon, her moment was her father being falsely imprisoned. We all know what Bruce's moment was. But this right here, this was the moment that made Tim continue to be Robin because he had to, in some way, atone for not being able to save Annie from Clayface murdering her. 
And I like that. I, I like that. I, I, I love that. I, it goes beyond like. I definitely love that. Yeah. And um, there in that same – in the ending scene there is another nice bit of continuity. They reveal how Clayface survived in Mudslides. Yes, that was – Which yeah. we were questioning back then, I believe. We didn't know how the hell he was able to come back, and they, they answered it here. Mm-hmm. So props to them for that. Now, if they could just get us some explanations on how the Joker survives all this stuff, <laughs> then we'd be in business. But at least for now, they did this one right. Yeah, and, and I like the fact that they didn't get very scientific about it. It was, oh, there must have been something in the chemicals. That's it. That's all we need. That's all we asked for. You know, they didn't need to be like, it was some crazy isotope that did this and that, that Lex Luthor unleashed in Gotham when he was last there. No, 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 no. It was just some toxic waste, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's great. And it works because Clayface is a very sci-fi character. You don't need to go all deep with it. You can just come up with some kind of half-assed answer and we'll, we'll buy it. Because it, in yeah. truth, it's not even important. to uh, this, In this episode, it's not important how he survived. What's important is the survival of Annie. You know, explaining how Two-Face, or excuse me, Two-Face, Clayface survived his last encounter with Batman it, it's just a little thing they threw in there for the fanboys who would scream, well, us, uh, about you know, how did he live? You know, the, the, those who want continuity got it, but ultimately it doesn't really matter. So. Nope. And, uh, you know, this was another episode with just a lot of fantastic animation. Mm-hmm. And most, you know, most Clayface episodes have great animation. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just a given. I don't know if there's a single Clayface episode that looks bad. Off the top of my head, I no. can't think of one. They, nope, me neither. With a character like that, they have to bring their A game because otherwise it's going to it's gonna fail epically. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you have a shape-shifting character, it's a given. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't half-ass it at right. all. Right, you can have an ugly-looking Two-Face episode, an ugly-looking Joker episode, but Clayface... No, you have to be on the top of your game because you don't know, you know, if if the script is going to call for him just to shoot, you know, turn his hand into a fork or if it's going to call for him to turn into, you know, 10 characters in a matter of 30 seconds, as he did in the first episode when he was, quote unquote, dying. Um, So you have, you know, the animators have to be ready for everything. And they always were. I appreciate that. Um, Beyond this, does Clayface come back? Yeah, in uh, Justice League, and he's part of the of Gorilla Grodd Secret Society. Oh, really? Yeah, in uh, well, the episode Secret Society. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah he's a uh, he's their final member. They uh, they release him from these canisters that this guy has uh, he has him trapped in basically. Huh. But he doesn't come back in uh, any of the Batman episodes. Not not that I know of. But yeah, he def and uh, he again is voiced by Ron Perlman in Justice League too. So and he doesn't come back for Batman Beyond or anything. Hmm, that's a good question because he's one of those characters that because he was changed so radically, sort of like he could, Mr. Yeah, Freeze, he could live. For, he could potentially be immortal. Um, all that has to survive is one little speck of him, and you know maybe he could recreate himself. It might take decades but it's it'd be a shame if they didn't uh use that character again because there's you know there's we've said it before about this character there's so much potential there he didn't want to be a bad guy he was roped into this and now he's stuck this way you know um but in this episode he truly is the bad guy we can't deny that here i mean he's a scumbag in this absolutely absolutely he could have let annie go but he chooses not to he chooses to again 
you know, in quotes or not, murder her. You know, here we go. Here we go. We'll post the question. Did he murder Annie? Or was he just taking back a little piece of himself? Yeah. What do you think? Did he, did he murder her or not? Well, he absolutely murdered her. I mean, because she had a, a, a will and a conscience of her own. Yeah, and a clearly defined can't deny personality, that. too. Yes. Yeah, she, she acted nothing like Clayface. She was her own person. Yeah. If there's anybody she out there, if there's anybody out there who thinks he, uh, didn't murder her, um, write in. Let us know. You know, I'd, I'd love to see some arguments, um, countering ours. You know. Um, so anything else before we move on to our scores? Um, I, I, I will say that, uh, the Francesca Smith who voiced Annie was, it was kind of neat because, uh, did you ever watch Hey Arnold? No. On, on Nick? No. She voiced, uh, Helga. The uh, bully, hmm. the girl, the little girl was a, like a bully. So it was kind of, it was kind of neat to uh, have her uh, voicing such a timid, uh, scared person as opposed to her rather ugly uh, acting character on Hey Arnold. What else has she done? Because her voice did sound vaguely familiar to me. But then again, I've seen this episode so many times. <laughs> maybe I'm just recognizing it from this episode. That's a good question. I guess I could always IMDb it. Yeah. It's not a big deal. You could always post it at the forums once this episode's posted. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I can't remember anything off the top of my head. Okay, yeah, after after this episode airs on Earth2.net, you know, just in the feedback thread, just, you know, link to her yeah. IMDb page or something. So, because I'll, I'll, yeah. com- I'll completely forget to look as soon as we're done recording this in five minutes, you know? <laughs> so it'd be nice to have a reminder. Uh, yeah. So should we get on with our scores then? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so never fear. Uh, let's see. I'll give that a six. I will give that one a seven. Warrior queen. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll be a little. I'll be a little more lenient. I will get, grade it down the middle of five. Okay, because uh, it just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> what was your original score on that one? Four. Yeah. Again, I admitted my bias before. It's because she's a nymphomaniac redhead who can take it to Superman. I think that's a great concept. So it gets a seven for me. I fully admit I'm being generous with that one. Um, and no, I won't be revisiting that score. It's not going to come down. It's not going to go up. It's staying right at seven. Um, <laughs> Joker's Millions. Uh, 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 three. I'm going to give that a five. But again, I think I'm being generous there. Too many plot holes. There's just too many damn plot holes there. Apocalypse Now, do I need to ask? No. (laughs) (laughs) Ten! As I said earlier, I do not think the episode's perfect. There are some flaws along the way. But But what episode is, Right, exactly. This episode's too epic. It has repercussions. A a major character dies. There's no way this can't get a ten, despite its uh, flaws. So ten from both of us, obviously. And Growing Pains. Nine. I agree with you there, too. Yiskadal, Yiskadal, Shemerabo, Beolamod, Iverachirusevi, Amlich, Malachuse, Behayehon, Noviomehon, Vehaye de Holebes, Israel, Bagalov is Mankari, Vimaru. Amen.
Goodbye, old friend. In the end, the world didn't really need a Superman. Just a brave one. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss three more episodes from Superman the Animated Series, those being Little Girl Lost, Where There's Smoke and Nighttime, and two episodes from Gotham Nights, Love is a Crock and Torch Song. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Mm-hmm.